Episode 210, Hot Shot Scott. Yes. Area code 210. I taught you something last week. Oh, Do you remember? Crap. Stop. You did. It. You don't listen. I should listen when you talk occasionally. 210. Yeah. Where's 210? You should know this from your producing days. Oh. That would mean I had to like book people from out of the city, you know, past the Don Bors of the world, you know. Larry Stone <laughs> yeah, is not right. area code two one zero. No, he is not. <laughs> San Antonio, hello. Oh. San Antonio, Texas, which happens to be one hundred and ninety-seven miles mm-hmm. due west on I ten from due west. What? Texas City. Uh, Dallas seems too easy. I'm going to go Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Hey. Anything happening this week? In Houston, Texas, that you know of. Oh, I, I think the Houston Rockets have a preseason game. Yes, they sure do. Yeah, Yao Ming still playing? Oh, it's going to be awesome, yes. <laughs> Bob Horry, Robert Horry still oh, on the team? Bob Horry, fantastic player from Alabama. Love him. Won about 12 yeah. NBA championships? He sure did, yes. Yeah, at, uh, well, we think at 1237 Pacific time in Houston, Texas on Tuesday. Yes. Game one of the American League Divisional Series. So the Mariners won? I was camping all weekend. <laughs> Tell me what happened this weekend. No, Fill me weren't. in real quick. Just really no, quick. No, you weren't. No, I was not. Mitch Unfiltered is available on all major podcast platforms. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps with booking guests. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron at $5 a month and have access to all the bonus shows, which now includes Hot Shot, a brand new bonus show Okay. after every single Mariners postseason game we release a show a mariners note table right away well we record it right away (laughs) yeah and then we post it a few minutes later but yes a 30 minute ish post-game show for patrons at the end of every mariners postseason game that's got to be the first one ever I mean, from KJR to the podcast, right? <laughs> a postseason win, a postgame show. A po- it doesn't have, they don't have to win, right? Just after, a postgame. As yeah, soon yeah. as a postgame wow, is over, as awesome. soon as a game in the playoffs is over, yep. We and when I say we, it's me, it's Slickhawk, it's Jason Churchill. Oh, good. We get together, we rehash it, we either celebrate it. We haven't done any crying yet because they haven't <laughs> lost a playoff game. We almost, we almost cried, didn't we? We did it after Friday's <laughs> game. We did it after Saturday's nice. game. We've gotten a lot of reaction. A lot of people are dumping their patron shows, their patron <laughs> membership. But yes, we will continue to do that for patrons every single game that they play. Let's hope they'll play a lot more. Yeah, it'd be great. And uh, if you're a patron, you got a, a post-game show from us right after the game. Can there I read you, you something from April 8th, 2022? Just a little blurb I think you might enjoy. Friday night's home opener at Rogers Center was billed as a grand return to normalcy in Toronto. So opening day for the Blue Jays, right? You got it in Rogers Center? Yeah. After moonlighting as a snoozer for an hour, mayhem took hold, roaring back from a seven-run deficit to beat the Rangers 10-8, to oh. the biggest opening day comeback in oh. 72 years. The, the Blue Jays' first game of the season. Yes. They overcome a seven-run deficit. Boy. Their last game of the season, yeah. they blow a seven-run lead. Why is sports so weird sometimes? Well, it's not that weird. There's a fine <laughs> explanation for it. Okay. These beads. <laughs> Don't choke on your water. These beads. <laughs> you have to flash somebody for those? No, I didn't have to flash anybody. I'll have you know that at 8-1, and I wasn't even trying to change. with the. Obviously, I wanted to change the mojo. 8-1 yeah. down. But when I put these beads on, these yeah. beads that I'm showing you right now, uh-huh. <laughs> it was eight to one. You see, 
I guess this was Hoko. We don't call it homecoming anymore. Well, you and I call it homecoming. It was Hoko at Newport High School. And my son wore these beads, see? Yeah. On Friday night to the football game. Okay. And then he, like everything else, he just laid them out so he didn't put them away when he came out. He just took them off. Like everything else in their life, right? right. (laughs) He He just laid them on this table, which was right behind me as I was watching the Saturday game between the Toronto Blue Jays and the Seattle Mariners. Okay. And at precisely 8-1, and I'm not saying that I saw the beads and I put them on thinking, okay, these beads are going to change my luck. Yeah. I just saw the beads and I was being goofy. I was like, hey, I'm going to put those on. And I put them on, not even thinking. It was eight to one. Yeah. Eight to two, eight to three, eight to four, eight to five, nine to five. These beads. That's it. These beads. Now, I don't know what to do. Do I wear these beads in game one on Tuesday? Do I leave them out in case Mm. they fall behind? Do I just forget about them? It happens once. The beads were good for one game. I don't know what to do with the beads. Now, the beads didn't go anywhere. Untorrid, they went around the neck, okay, right? Do you like, have is to? It, is that the right word? Do you have know. to? They didn't go anywhere inappropriate, right? Just around the neck, like a normal necklace, right? They're beads. They're beads. Oh, yeah, well, you know, you never know what people. Okay, I just want to make sure we're clear. They're I the need beads all the facts. that you throw down from the window. The, the Mardi Gras. Gotcha. My, yes, yes. I think you start out with them. We don't need a hole. Put them on. We, we can't get in a deficit. Yeah. If people are going to put shoes on their heads, you can put some beads on, right? Yeah, but the question is. Are the beads gonna work from the beginning of a game, or are they something of a of a bullpen reliever? Do they come in in the middle of the game when things aren't going straight? Gotcha. Maybe you have to do the same inning. I know it's tough for you I'm superstitious you. people. It's a torturous world. I'm I know. telling you. Yeah. These beads. Well, for, uh, on it's behalf, all about the beads. On behalf of all Mariner fans, we'd like to publicly thank you for wearing the beads. You figured it out. That was the key to winning. So thank you for doing that there for all Mariner go. fans. There you we go. We appreciate it. You yes. have me to thank. That's right. You're yes. the true hero of the game. All right. So I told you that there's going to be a Mariner's note table for patrons that's posted on the Patreon site, the Mitch Unfiltered Patreon site, $5 a month. If the $5 is problematic, just email me. Or if you have something to say about the show, just email me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Ken wants, and I won't give you Ken's last name, Mitch, any chance that you try to get Kyle Seeger on the show? I think you're the perfect interviewer to get his insights on this year and the M's past. It's funny how I sadly kind of forgot about Seager, how fun it would have been for him to be on this team, right? It feels like years since he's been it on does. this team. I can't believe he played last year. He played last year. It's crazy. And it was somewhat controversial that they kind of yeah. walked him right out the door. Didn't he have 35 home runs last year? <laughs> I think he did. 30 home runs, something like that. I mean, the fact that he couldn't just be like a DH and have a blast and spray the champagne. So what's he and, thinking? I know. Bummer. Is he sitting home in North Carolina with his wife and all of his kids? I think he's got like... 43 kids. Oh, is that right? Okay. Is he sitting home in North Carolina watching it? Is he not watching it? Is he pulling for him? Is he texting with the guys, his old teammates? Is he is he is he wearing beads? <laughs> Probably not. Is he putting the beads around his neck instead yes. of someplace un I don't know. Is it untoward, maybe? I don't, I don't know either. Toward. Toward. Untoward. Un- untoward. I, th- I think it's untoward. Yeah, that whatever yeah. that whatever yeah. that means, yes. Yeah. No, I, those are all good questions. And I, I don't think know. Ken's right. You should get him on. Has anybody heard from him? Yeah, it's bizarre. I don't think he's doing interviews. I'm not sure that it's going to be easy. It's as, as easy as mm. just making a call to North Carolina, Kyle Seeger, and say, hey, come on the podcast. I don't know. I never know. I, I feel like we would have already heard from him somewhere along the line. I know his wife's very active on Twitter. At least she yes, was. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. People don't like her. Yeah, but she might be the key to get him on. So you might, you know, maybe go through her. And on Twitter? Maybe, yeah. Send a tweet. That's right, a tweet. Frank in Tucson, well, you finally got me, and you can thank the Mariners. I'm a new unfiltered patron because of your post-game shows 
They are fantastic. I've even listened to Mueller and Danny O'Neill since I joined. Really entertaining. Why not up it from 5 to 10 and just put everything on there? All shows, including Monday shows. Hmm. Do we want to do that? No free shows? Make everybody pay for every show? I don't know that I'm the right person to ask for this, but I don't know. I, I sort of like one free show. Yeah, the Monday show, the yeah, big one. Ex- accessible to everyone, no barrier to entry. Just got to download and yeah. enjoy. And yeah, what a greedy listener he is. <laughs> he's not greedy. He's offering to pay ten dollars. <laughs> yeah, so true. why don't I do this? Why don't we charge Frank in Tucson ten dollars a month? <laughs> right. And I'll put the Monday show on there for him. For him, yes. It'll yes. be free for everybody else where it normally That's is. Right. We'll but we'll get ten bucks out of him a month. Frank's page. We'll have his own Patreon page. Beat the boys presented by Fireside Home Solutions. I'll have you know that I've hit the last six in a row. Is that right? I've gone six for six the last two weeks. We've got weekend number six coming. Yep. So you need a password and you need the games. It's presented by Fireside Home Solutions. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The password is mm-hmm. comeback. Oh, okay. I'm going to write that One down. One word. All lowercase. Lower yes. Comeback. Okay. And the three games that you need to pick for this coming weekend in the NFL, Ravens at Giants, Bengals at Saints, Vikings at Dolphins. Got it. I remember when the Dolphins were good. Oh, you're old enough to remember that, are you? Yeah, for a couple of weeks ago, they were pretty good. They were. Yeah. Now they're on their third string quarterback. And if you get tapped on the head, you got to come out for a concussion and concussion protocol. And so the Dolphins are reeling at the point. Anyway, password comeback Ravens at Giants, Bengals at Saints, Vikings at Dolphins. Got it. Episode 210 and the guests coming up on this particular show of Mitch Unfiltered. Former Major League Baseball general manager Steve Phillips, he's our buddy. Great. Talking Mariners magic. We're talking about the Toronto series and the series versus Houston. How much of a legitimate chance, how much of a shot do they have in the uh, in the series, a best of five series against the Houston Astros? That seems to be the question. We here in Seattle believe anything's possible after what we just saw, yeah. down eight to one, but really legitimately how you feeling about their chances against the Houston Astros? It's one of my questions for you on my notes, but I guess I'll wait and leave it to yes. the expert. I mean, it got, no, you can ask me. You can ask me. Say I mean, I'm not the expert, but you can ask me. I have an opinion about that. The Blue Jays weren't sorry. They were a pretty darn good team. I thought that the Mariners were going to lose to the Blue Jays. Yeah. So, but but now, I mean, is this like we're going to the the big dogs and the Mariners are in over their heads? Is that is that how well, I should ta- feel? Let's talk about it in segment one. Okay. Well, I'm because I if we be talk here? about it now, yeah. May not have any. I'm not talking about the Seahawks very much in segment one. <laughs> Thank I have a God. Few, I have a few things to say about the Seahawks, <laughs> but I am not spending a lot of time of this podcast yeah. of episode San Antonio on the Seattle Seahawks. So let's save the Houston Astros question. But please ask me. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you an opinion in segment one. Can't wait of what their chances are. Okay. Guests, former uh, GM Steve Phillips will be guest number one. We got the Seahawks no table Saints style. No Joe. He was traveling, so Brady Anderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, will be the no table. And Rick Neuheisel, the dogs and Cougs awful over the weekend. What happened to the dog? Remember when the dogs were good? Remember when we were talking about like. Playoff, playoff, yeah. National playoff. Could playoff? they could they go undefeated all the way to the Oregon game? <laughs> and then, but the, the red flag was the next week when Michigan State proved that they sucked. That right? I mean, we all got excited about that win, but then clearly Michigan State's awful. 
They can't beat their second stringers. Crazy. Arizona State, you realize how bad and oh. how, how much disarray that program is well, in? Fired their coach we talked about, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a bottom two in the Pac-12. Oh, my maybe. God, they're yeah. a bottom something in the big five. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, they're one of the worst big conference teams in all the sport. I thought after they lost to UCLA, they're going to regroup. That was bullshit. Me too. Let's drop 60 on ASU. Me and, too. Wow, they did not. I don't think they're going to win in a game the rest of the way. <laughs> that would be unbelievable. I had them in the playoffs. I <laughs> I don't think they're going to get to a bowl game. <laughs> God, imagine. you got to win six to get into a bowl game. Oh. I'm not sure they could do it. And I think DeBoer's out. <laughs> <laughs> Is Jimmy Lake still available? <laughs> I think DeBoer's out. Oh, and I think God. they got to go to... Uh, they got to go to the Heward kid. We, we actually this quarterback's no good. We actually mentioned the words Heisman in the first three weeks. Well, of yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. holy cow, what happened? I hope New Heisel has answers because I don't. I definitely don't. Oh God. But hot shot before we continue celebrating the Mariners and ripping the Seahawks. A couple of words about our unfiltered partners like Zeke's Pizza. Try out their new locations: Seward Park, Terrace Station, and Mount Lake Terrace. Boise, Idaho is coming, and it'll be the answer to the trivia question. First location outside state of Washington. Download the Zeke's Pizza app today, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, locally owned by the Schwartz family. Great, great pillars of the Northwest for all of these years. Four locations, Les Shy, downtown at the Hyatt, South Lake Union, atop the world at Bellevue Place. Simply no better place to celebrate special occasions than Daniel's Broiler World-Class Steakhouses. Fireside Home Solutions, up to $300 off gas fireplace inserts right now at firesidehomesolutions.com for unfiltered listeners. Thanks to Fireside. Don't forget, beat the boys. Week six is coming. And the password is comeback. One word, comeback, all lowercase, as in what happened in Toronto in game number two. The Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage was so cool how Jordan Flowers handed out dozens and dozens of tickets to the final Mariners homestand to unfiltered listeners. Just another example of how incredible a partner his office has been. 425 890 2957, an evergreen golf call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. Evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Episode 210 210, San Antonio. Hello. Starts right now unfiltered i would start robbie ray in game two but have a very short short leash on him i would have gilbert ready to come in at the first sign of trouble but i would start robbie ray in game two against his former mates unfiltered we're talking about gino who if you look at his numbers versus the former quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks and what he's doing in Denver it's not particularly close we're talking about Gino who I believe has set an all-time NFL record for completion percentage in his first four games Mitch is unfiltered Are feeling like they're back in this game. 
Stafford to center field, not deep. Sprinting in Springer, and Fischer and Springer collide. The ball falls, and everybody's going to score. The Mariners have tied the game, and now Bichette and Springer are laid out in the outfield. And he pulls that one into right field. That's going to be a hit, and it's going to put the Mariners ahead. Raleigh around to score. Into second with a double. Ten to nine. Mariners have come all the way back, and now they're three outs away from moving on. Blue Jays down to their final strike. It's ten to nine. Mariners bottom nine. Two outs, two strikes. George Kirby comes set. His own two. Tapia to center field. Rodriguez there makes a catch. And one of the great comebacks in playoff history sends the Mariners to the division series. It's one of the most remarkable games I've ever seen. Ever. Balboa for yeah, you. Oh, yeah. A little final countdown or whatever they call that song. It's not the a little, final countdown. Little, it's the final bell. Oh, the I, final bell. See, that's one thing I'm good final for bell. is that kind of nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> right. Not many a would little, know the name of that song. A little No Name Never by the Dropkick Murphys. <laughs> that's right. Yes. To kick off episode 210. Oh, God. It was weird uh, how I just wanted to sit and watch another MLB playoff game. I was like, this is so awesome. I love baseball again. I forgot how much I loved it. Oh. It was so fun. Amazing. Do, do we like the afternoon games this week? Well, that's a whole thing. Do I've, we like the fact that they're going to play at 1230 Pacific time on Tuesday and Thursday? I wrote that down in my notes. What's up with we that? We don't like that. That's bull crap. Well, I think that if they're going to play all these series that somebody's got to play in the afternoon, right? Yeah, but why them? I mean, isn't this one of the best storylines, I oh, think? Oh, you're saying let somebody else play in the sure. afternoon. I mean, look... The, the, the Astros are the cheaters, that whole thing, but they're good, and they won it a couple of years ago. But now you have a team coming out of nowhere after 20 years. They're both in the the AL West. Like, the storyline's amazing. Why not put them in prime time? I haven't been able to bitch and moan about this, and I really wanted to get the Seahawks out of the way oh, okay. up front. But I haven't been able to bitch and moan about this in a long time because we haven't really talked about playoffs in a long time, Major League Baseball playoffs. <laughs> Is that right? I, I think the fact that kids are in school – Yeah. That's a killer. It, well, for for the kids or for MLB or both? For everybody. For yeah. everybody involved. The fact that Mariner kids yeah. have never seen the Mariners in the postseason, and now you put them in a position where they're in the middle of their school days on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah. I mean, on Friday when they were playing Toronto, I start getting... I start getting texts from Brett Levy in high school, junior, Newport High School. Dad, what's the Xfinity password? I need the Xfinity password. I'm like, aren't you in history class? Yes, I need the Xfinity password for right. my phone. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know whether teachers are okay with that. 
I saw some video of a teacher putting it on the big screen, like not teaching, but that was younger kids. That was younger, in high school. Yeah, it was like middle school, maybe. Yeah. And they were all celebrating. Oh, I loved when it. Yeah. Cal Raleigh hit the home oh. run. I saw the video. But like, that's your next fan base. Yes. They're the ones that are going to be buying tickets yes. in 10 years, 12 yes. years. I know. Short sighted. And you do it to them on both games, one and two. Right. That's what, can't that's can't you at least put one of the yeah. games after school? That's a good point. That Stagger sucks. it a bit. Yeah. It in really fact, does. I've got a big problem with the whole scheduling of the series which goes into the answer to the question that you're going to ask me here in a few moments after we get rid of the Seahawks conversation. Okay. You're going to ask me what what the chances are the Mariners are going to win this series. Is it more than a puncher's chance so they have a real shot? And I'm going to complain bitterly. I am pissed off at what Major League Baseball did with this schedule. They did something that plays right into the Houston, oh, Houston Astros advantage. I don't want to hear we'll this. get there in okay. a second. Can we get through the Seahawks like really quickly? Oh, please be my guest. Because I've got I've got the Seahawks no table for people that want like expanded Seahawks coverage on this episode 210. Yeah. You're going to get a segment here coming up shortly with Brady Anderson, who was in New Orleans. And we'll break down the 39-32 bitter disappointment of the Seattle Seahawks. So let's just let's just make this simple. How many years are we all going to put up? With somewhere between disappointing and miserable defense and undisciplined penalty-riddled games from a Pete Carroll coaching staff. How many years are we going to do this? I, I wish Paul Allen were still alive for so many reasons, but I, I can't accept the notion that he wouldn't be fed up by now. Yeah, I don't know what his sister's going to do. I don't know about selling the team. All I can tell you is I am so tired of complaining that the Seattle Seahawks can't play defense and that they're getting penalized 12 times in a game yep. that they should have won. That's How right. many years are we going to do this? And Pete Carroll is a defensive coach. All I've heard about. <laughs> right. <laughs> and when they went to the Super Bowl and they won the Super Bowl and he had that great defense, he got credit for it. Yep. And deservably so. But the flip side. <laughs> Who's at fault here? <laughs> right. You've got a quarterback. I went through the numbers. Through five games, you understand. Let me do a little Mr. Playoffs for you. Let's go. If the Pro Bowl were today, <laughs> okay. which it's not and it's stupid to even talk about, yep. the two Pro Bowl quarterbacks in the NFC would be Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles yeah. and Geno Smith of the Seattle Seahawks. Now, maybe that's not true because somebody else would get Brady or or Rodgers would get the vote because of but who they are. Statistically speaking. Statistically speaking, yeah. I've got it right here. Yep. Geno Smith is the second best quarterback through five games in the NFC, and it's not particularly close. Hmm. And he's just getting screwed. Right. He's getting screwed by everybody. He's getting screwed by a defense on Sunday. That was the worst in the NFL. You realize the Saints offense, what they were playing against? They were playing against Andy freaking Dalton. Right. And this Taysom Hill, this guy running yeah. the ball. He can't throw it. He can I threw a touchdown, but all he does is run the ball. They can't stop anybody. They can't get off the field. They can't force somebody to punt. Right. He's getting job by DK dropping touchdown passes. DK fumbling the first play of the third quarter. He's getting jobbed by by questionable replay reviews. He's getting jobbed by an awful fake punt, which oh. apparently wasn't a fake punt. Yeah. According to Pete Carroll, oh, okay. it wasn't a fake punt because it sure looked to me like Michael Dixon thought he saw green that he could get a first down. He had plenty of time to kick it. If in fact, could have he kicked was it six to times That's for right. God's sakes. Yeah. And then there's the 12 penalties and the, and the poorly coached undisciplined nature of this football team. It's embarrassing already. 
It's freaking embarrassing. Now, some people say, hey, Mitch, this is good. They're going to have a higher draft choice. Okay, if that's what you want. All I know is I'm watching these games, and I'm seeing games that the Seahawks should win. And that's annoying, especially when you consider the Rams, two and three. Right. The Cardinals, two and three. Right. Only the 49ers are three and two. These are all games that they should be winning. That, That game on Sunday... How well did Geno play on Sunday? How well has he played the last couple of weeks? It's like, remember, like the old Kurt Warner? He just came out of nowhere and stormed into the NFL and looked awesome. That's kind of what Geno looks like. It's crazy. It's crazy. He's just dominating the game for some reason. Where did he come from? Geno Smith is completing 75, and now he's throwing deep ones right in the bucket. Awesome. I know. Perfectly thrown deep balls for touchdowns. On the run, that one, he was kind of on one leg. Crazy. I know. Amazing. 75% passing. He's on a pace for 4,437 yards, 31 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. I'll I'll get it to you again. Here's his pace. If he continues to go at this rate, he will have 75% passing, 4,437 yards, 31 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. Russell Wilson, 59%, 4,200 yards, 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Aaron Rodgers, 68%, 3,900 yards, 27 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Tom Brady, 68%, 4,700 yards, 24 touchdowns, 3 interceptions. Geno's got, Geno was on a pace for better numbers than all of those guys. Every single one of them. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this season yeah. right now as we played five games. And they can't get, he can't get any kind of support nope. from either his defense or his coaching staff or anybody. No one wants to help freaking Geno out. Otherwise, they'd be three and two, maybe four and one yeah. at this point. Played well enough by far. By far. By far to win that game. It's by far. such a shame. By far. Couldn't and, stop anyone. And I feel terrible for Rashad Penny. Is he out for the year? I Probably, saw- yes. Broken leg. Oh. Broken bone in the leg, yeah. Signed a one-year contract oh. for $5 million this year. I think his Seahawks career is over, too. I think this was going to be a one-year deal. I, I don't think he was coming back to the Seahawks anyway. Yeah. And now after this injury. But this was his year that he was going to go get. And he was going, he was going he pretty well. He looked good, yeah. He was going to going get 1,300, well. get a big check from somebody, a God. big contract. And... God. All right, enough about the Seahawks. Okay. Back to the Mariners. Let's go. Woohoo! How fun was playoff baseball again? It was so awesome. Every pitch. 8-1 down in game two. I mean, I, so be honest. Were you sitting here watching every second or – or did you get up and be like, this sucks. I'm going to go. Oh, no, no, no. I watched every single pitch. At 8-1, you're not like, eh. 8-1. No, no, no. I watched every single pitch. I'm, not, mow the lawn. I, I'm not suggesting that I thought that they were going to win. Yeah, but you sat there oh, and yeah. fought through. I, okay. I, yeah, I was not going to turn that thing off. Okay. I did not turn college football on. I had the, I will tell you, I had the Huskies on the little iPad next to me. Oh, yeah. Look at you. Just so I could see what was going on there. Because five TVs not enough downstairs. Is that why you had to do that with the iPad? <clears throat> Is that why you needed a sixth? What the hell you got going on on those TVs? Holy shit. I myself was at a delightful lunch near Tacoma. Yeah. It's eight to one. I'm getting yeah. grumpy. I'm like, really? Eight to one? Yeah. So I said, this sucks. We pay the check. We get in the car. I put the Huskies on. Oh, this sucks even worse. So then like 10 minutes later, I'm like, yeah. let's see if it's 15 to one. And it was eight, eight to five. I was like, oh, okay. Or eight to four, eight to five, I think. Eight to five. Eight to five. I'm like, all right, all right. That's, so I just, from then on, I was just glued on the radio, and then I got home and watched the whole thing. Amazing. At eight to one, I was thinking a couple things. Okay. First of all, the beads. Yes. I was thinking, put the beads on. And then I was thinking, you know, tomorrow's going to be game three. This was what I was thinking on Saturday. Tomorrow's going to be game three. Mm-hmm. The Blue Jays have now all the momentum. They're piling it on, and I'm feeling like, 
I know other people didn't feel this way, okay. but it felt to me like they were kind of losing both Saturday and Sunday mm. on Saturday because the momentum was going to be so intense, intensely against them. So what I was thinking in the fifth inning, fourth inning, fifth inning, sixth inning was let's see if they can just generate something offensively, make a game of this just to get a little momentum back right. for tomorrow. I wasn't thinking that they would score some run, so many runs that they would win the game. And then, you know, Santana, the boneheaded play by the manager, the boneheaded managerial decision to bring that pitcher in and allow Santana to hit right-handed instead of left-handed. He he promptly hits a home run. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, okay, yeah. this is going to be, look, everybody, Cal Raleigh with a couple of good hits, and you had Suarez had a hit. And, and Frazier was well, the ball. Yeah, he was, he, was, he was on it all day. Yep. Lo and behold, what I was just hoping would be momentum turned into something a lot more than momentum. Oh, my gosh. It was unbelievable. The J.P. Crawford double absolutely turned the tide officially, not just the score because they tied it up. That place was dead quiet for good reason. There's two guys laying on the field. Correct. But you could just tell they, they fans just knew. Toronto fans knew it's over. It's just even though it's tied, it's over. It just felt like yep. doom and gloom it for sure that did. team. It sure and, did. And I was feeling a little guilty because here's two guys on the I mean, I'm I'm jumping up and down here. Yeah, right. I was jumping up and down. My beads were going up and down because they were <laughs> not in any place that was untoward. Yeah. That's right, yes. I'm jumping up and down. Me too. You know, these these guys are on the on the ground, they got to bring out a car to get one oh. guy. And he's a Mariners killer. Springer, I mean, how, yeah. how many years are we going to watch George? What's happened longer? Seahawks suck on defense or George Springer's been killing <laughs> right. us? And you got, just got done saying, JP, five for 46, awful. Five for 46 going yeah. into that last at bat. That's right. And then he, six Hits for one. 47. By the way, did you think that was a pop out? I thought he was yeah. out. Oh, my God. He was out, right? That was a it pop was, up. It was the most well-placed Little Texas leaguer, <laughs> but it was high in the history in the history of Texas leaguers. Unbelievable! If that ball is, I don't know, two feet further or three feet shorter. That's right. It's a catch. Yep. And the Blue Jays win, and who knows if the Mariners come back on Sunday and win? That's right. And I think Frazier might have scored from first. Oh yeah, of course. It was two outs. The bases so were loaded. They, they, they were, were down. Just, three. They were already running. And, oh he, yeah, yeah. He was running on contact. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And even later in the game, when you know how fans love to stand when their pitcher has two strikes on, you know, they all, you could see like half the Jays fans stood, the other half were just kind of stunned. It was demoralizing. Demoralizing completely. Yeah. It was beautiful. Change. <laughs> it sure was. It was so, <laughs> wasn't it? Freaking beautiful. Oh, awesome. God. Yep. Suarez was great. That game was so memorable. Arguably the second most memorable game in Seattle Mariners history yeah, behind sure. the double. Yeah. This one's going to stick in your memory really, really good. Yeah, improbable. God, the Friday performance by Luis Castillo. Right. We haven't even talked about that, you and I. Oh. Yeah. You happy you went out and got him? I mean. How he... good was he on? And how, mu how, did they, how much did they need just like every pitch from him as That's it right. turned out? They score the three runs in the first, and then they kind of go quiet. Yep. And he just comes out inning after inning after <laughs> inning yep actually hits george springer in his, his final inning his last pitch of the day was last a, pitch of the day and i was pissed they hit julio twice and i some guy on twitter said well we're, we're not going to retaliate it's playoff baseball we don't do that in playoff baseball and then like a couple innings later castillo just pegs him i was like there you go send a message you can't well he hit our best player twice well he hit julio in the first and then he nearly hit ty france in the first yeah the guy, the guy was wild in the first but oh 
Luis Castillo's awesome. performance is kind of going to get lost in this 10-9 shuffle. It's true. And I don't want it to ever get lost because that was a a balls-out performance. That was yep. an unbelievable performance. You're going to hear Steve Phillips say that that was as good a performance as he's seen all year mm. from any base from any pitcher in Major League Baseball. And then consider like what was at stake as well. Like, incredible. That wasn't just some regular season just game. Just incredible. And by the way, we haven't even brought up Cal Raleigh. Cal Raleigh going to cleanup. And why hasn't this happened earlier? <laughs> Nobody can get him out it's when he's crazy. hitting cleanup. Yeah. Could he have hit cleanup in July, August, right. September? <laughs> Did this team have a cleanup hitter, by the way? Right. Where, wasn't this team looking for a cleanup hitter for a long time? Who isn't, really? I mean, takes the playoffs to try this? Right. Oh. I mean, he's, he's the hero to, to clinch the playoffs. And then in, in game one, he has a home run. And then in game two, he has the double. I think he had three hits in game two. He had three I think hits he had, in game two. I yeah. think he hit 500 in the series, or Unreal. the two-game series. All right, where he, he hit a double, and then Frazier hits the double to score him. That's right. Like, of course, That's he just right. goes up and hits a double. Like, we've been, like, if he does, if he strikes out, you say, well, Cal Raleigh had a hell of a, a series, right? right? You can't right. blame him. Right. But he gets a double when we well, need he's it. He's just clutch. I forgot he Cal, was in. Cal Raleigh's clutch. He was at Tacoma this year. Gino Suarez is clutch. Yeah, clutch. There right. are a few guys on this team. I'm not sure if Ty France is clutch. I don't Manager. even know, I don't even know that Julio. We don't know yet. I'm not saying he's not. We don't know yet whether Julio's clutch, like when we need a hit, where they yeah. get it. I don't know about Ty France. I, I know Hanniger last year was really, really clutch. Mm-hmm. What I know about this year's team is Cal Raleigh, whether he's hitting 220 or not. Crazy. Gino Suarez, whether he's hitting 230. Those two guys, when they get up in a big situation, it seems like they come through more times than not. Yeah. So We've got a best of five series yep. with the hated Astros, the team that still people are calling, even with the Dodgers and with the Braves and with the Mets, still people say the Astros are the best team, the most complete team, the deepest team when it goes to pitching and hitting. The Astros are the toughest team in Major League Baseball, and now the Mariners are up against it. Look how hot the Mariners were in the second half of the season, or you know, going into the they couldn't have played any hot. They couldn't get within ten games of the. No. The Astros just were like 10 to 12 games in front of the red-hot Mariners. They just would not ever go on a losing streak. It was incredible that they held on to that so long. It appears it'll be Logan Gilbert in in game one against the Astros. Okay. Justin Verlander. He's good. The Cy Young Award winner, the soon-to-be Cy Young Award winner again Mm -hmm. in the American League against against the Seattle Mariners. All right, so the Mariners are now stepping up. These are these are these are big dogs. They're going to go play against. Not that Toronto was a slouch. A pretty good team. Good yeah, offense. Very right? good team. I th- Vlad Jr. They got some dogs. I said on this podcast or one of these podcasts, I said that I didn't expect the Seattle Mariners to win that series in in Toronto against the Blue Jays. Yeah. I thought the Blue Jays had the advantage more than just the home field advantage. I also said that I wouldn't be stunned. I don't think it's like an overwhelming favorite where I'd be I'd fall over on the ground if they won, <laughs> but. I'd be surprised. I'd be moderately surprised if the Mariners won. Fair. I'm moderately surprised. Okay. Because the Mariners won. <laughs> they sure did. I will tell you, I will be stunned. Stunned. Okay. If the Seattle Mariners beat the Astros in a best of five. Go on. This whole thing is just so set up for the Astros. The biggest thing that no one's talking about, I don't think anybody's talking about it, so let's talk about it, is the scheduling of the series. Okay. Major League Baseball scheduled game one for Tuesday, mm-hmm. off day Wednesday, game two Thursday, off day Friday, and then games three and four if necessary here in Seattle on Saturday and Sunday. 
Now, typically, and I don't say always, but typically the way it goes is game one, game two, day off. Game three, game four, day off. Right. Game five. Travel days are game off. But for some mysterious reason, probably TV, Major League Baseball not only put a day off for travel from Houston to Seattle, but they're giving the two teams a day off in between Tuesday and Wednesday. What is the impact of that? Well, it plays to the advantage of the game one starters. Now, the Mariners can't really start Luis Castillo game one right. because he pitched on Friday. and it, I mean, they could, but it would be three days rest, and these guys all pitch on four days rest right. or five days rest. So they're going to go with Logan Gilbert in game one. But now you look at the Houston Astros who've been sitting waiting for this series to happen. They can start Justin Verlander in game one. Right. And then what's four days from game one? Wednesday is day one of rest. Thursday is day two of rest. Friday is day three of rest. Saturday is day four ah, of rest. Yeah. He's he's due up on Sunday in game four. The truth of the matter is the most likely scenario where the Mariners win this series is they split the two games in Houston, uh -huh. and then somehow they come home and they win games three and four in Seattle and don't have to go to game five in Houston. That's the most likely scenario. Right. But the way the Major League Baseball has set this thing up, they're going to allow Verlander on a full complement of rest to be able to pitch both games one and game four in Seattle. And that is just highway robbery. If this series was set up like a normal series would be, and the Mariners are up two to one going into the Sunday game four, you follow? Yeah, yeah. If it was set up the normal way, yeah. and it was two to one going into game four, the Astros would have a, have a decision to make. This is a, a winner go home game. Right. We can start Justin Verlander at age, whatever he is, 40, 38. Yeah on three days rest, which he hasn't done all year, mm -hmm. and maybe get 50 or 60 or 70 pitches out of him, or we take a chance and we, we wait till Monday to start him and we try to win with somebody else. Yeah, but there might not be a Monday. There might not be a Monday. Right. That's if it was a normal. But the way the Major League uh. Baseball has done it, they're allowing the Astros to pitch him twice in the first four games on full rest. Maybe you would like for me to tell you how starting pitchers for the Mariners have fared against the Houston Astros this baseball season. You know, they've played 19 times. Yeah. It's not like we're seeing this team for the very first time, unfortunately. Right. Uh, Luis Castillo had exactly zero starts against the Houston Astros after coming over from the Cincinnati Reds. Okay. So the Astros are going to see him for the first time this year in game number two. Here are the other Mariners starters against the Astros this season. Do with this as you may. Okay. Pick one. Who do you want to know first? Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray in three starts against the Houston Astros had 10 and two-thirds innings, 23 hits, 13 runs, seven walks, seven strikeouts, an ERA of 10.98. How do you like that? <laughs> That's pretty damn good. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Uh, Kirby. George Kirby, one start. He went four innings, allowed four hits, two runs, one walk, seven strikeouts, 4.50 ERA in his one start. Not a disaster, right? Seven Ks, good. All right. Um, not Castillo. He didn't pitch against him. Let's go with Logan Gilbert. Logan Gilbert, game one starter, and will be available for game four on a full complement of rest, just like Verlander. Logan Gilbert, four starts against the Astros this year in 2022. 25 innings. 21 hits, seven earned runs, six walks, 22 strikeouts, an ERA of 2.52. All right. There you go. I like it.
So if we have a chance, maybe it's him. All right. I'm feeling better now. Thank you for that. Marco Gonzalez oh, would yeah. be the fourth guy that nobody even thinks about, about anymore. Him, Four starts against the Astros this year, the left-hander. 26 innings pitched, 26 hits, 11 earned runs, four walks, 12 strikeouts, a 3.81 earned run average, and four starts. Do you think we'll see him at all? I would think he'd be on the roster and then maybe he would come out in long relief. I can't imagine that they would start him because if they're going to start a left-hander, unfortunately, they're going to start Robbie Ray with his 11 ERA against the Astros. But I think that there's a... It's a hell of a decision. We know Logan Gilbert in game one. Right. We know Luis Castillo in game two. The question is, who's game three and who's game four? Now, some people would say it depends on what the status of the series is. Let's assume the Mariners lose both games one and two, and they're 0-2 down going into game three. And essentially, you have a choice of Robbie Ray, George Kirby, or Marco Gonzalez hmm. for game three on Saturday at T-Mobile Park. A must win, right? You said oh, down must 0-2. You're down yeah. 0-2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to go with the young guy, Kirby, who's had just one little experience in the postseason, and that was the ninth inning yeah. against Toronto in game two. Are you going to go to Robbie Ray, the veteran, who's got a terrible track record against the Astros and is just coming off of getting beaten up in Toronto, and he hasn't pitched well the whole last month of the season? What are you going to do? Robbie Ray. You could go to Marco Gonzalez. Yeah, I mean, he's fresh at least, right? No. But that's that's fresh. ballsy. That's ballsy to not start. I mean, I know Ray hasn't been good, but boy, you went out and got him. And it's really down to between Ray and Kirby. Yeah. Gonzalez would just be crazy if he did that, right? I mean, it'd be amazing if it worked out, but uh, I'm glad I'm not him. By the way, I was I meant to ask you earlier, what did you think about Kirby coming? Did that move scare you? When, when no, it didn't scare me at all. I would have really? liked. I would have loved to seen him start the game, for God's sakes. I mean, because people were like, what the hell is he doing, Kirby? He's never done No, you know. no, no. People wanted Kirby to start in front of Ray in game two. But coming in to close it out as a 23-year-old yeah. or whatever he is. Swan- I, think, I think because Swanson was still available and he has been pitching great yeah. for the Mariners out of that bullpen. So it was a little bit of a different strategy, but yeah. yes. Fun though, right? God. So fun. Bringing him it in. It worked out. How'd it work out? Yeah, it sure did. God. Not too bad. You might have to start both Ray and Kirby in games three and four. Okay. And the reason is because if this series, if we're lucky enough to get this series to game five, yeah. Castillo could pitch, but it would be three days rest. Right. So you might want to hold Logan Gilbert if he pitches great in game one, unless you're going to go to Ray. You're not going to go to Ray or Kirby in game five in Houston, are you? No way. You can't. So there's a chance, based on what happens in Houston, that you've got to pitch both Ray and Kirby in the two home games if there are two home games here in Seattle. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playoff baseball. Playoff baseball. I was hooked. I just want to keep watching baseball. Playoff baseball. So fun. Playoff every, baseball. Every pitch. I mean, it, it, one swing could just win the game, right? I mean, it's just a, you forget how much fun playoff baseball is. What a blast. Former MLB GM uh, Steve Phillips, then the Seahawks no table, and Rick Neuheisel before other stuff.
And here she is, Senior Financial Planner for Evergreen Golf Call, Katie Versio. How's everyone doing over there at Evergreen? Things getting a little better in the investing world, Katie? <laughs> you know, we're, we're hanging in there. It's been a pretty bumpy ride, though, Mitch. Yeah. It's been an interesting summer, to say the least. Yes. Katie has three stump the band questions from the financial world, and I am ready. Is there a topic this time around? Yes. So we're doing a market update. It's been a very volatile ride across all financial markets this year, so I'm going to kind of quiz you on topics I've asked you about earlier this year, just to see how things have changed. Okay, question number one. I'm ready. I've asked you several times this year, we've discussed U.S. consumer inflation. It's been really high this year. In May, the inflation increase was 8.6% year over year, and in June, it was 9.1%. What was that figure in July? Was it an 8% change, 8.5, or 9%? Just a stab, I'll go B8.5%, Katie. That's right. Yes! So while still very elevated at eight and a half percent, that's a very high rate. The figures came in lower than expected. And so that really boosted the market here in the last few weeks. So inflation is coming down a little bit, which means I can do no worse than 333, which is a great batting average on the Mariners. Go ahead. Question number two, Katie. Okay, so in April, I asked you about interest rates that you could earn on a six month CD. In April of 2021, you could earn 0.17% interest on a six month CD. And in April of 2022, you could get 0.2% interest. So even though at that time, the Federal Reserve was raising interest rates, it was not impacting savings rates for individuals. So today, what could you earn on a six month CD? Is it 0.3%? 0.6% or 0.9%? I'll go 0.9%, Katie. That's right. Yes! Yes! Now that the Fed has raised interest rates several times, it's starting to trickle down where investors can earn a little bit more on some of these types of investments. So the Fed raised 0.75% in July, and they're being a little bit more aggressive trying to rein that inflation in. Well, I'm not sure in all the years that we're doing this, Katie, that I've ever gone three for three. I don't know what I'm going to do if I go three for three on this one, but I'm ready to give it a try. What's question number three? Okay, so I'm giving you an easy one with oh, the last one. Oh. It's a true or false question. True or false, both stocks and bonds are down this year. Absolutely true, because I know that when stocks are up, bonds are down and vice versa, but that's not the case this time around. That's right. You got that right. The S&P 500 is down about 17% this year, and bonds are down about 12% this year because of what the Federal Reserve is doing with raising interest rate. It has been negatively impacting the price of bonds. Just a very volatile time, and we at Evergreen have been very active in managing our portfolios and trimming when the markets are going up and buying when things are going down, and we think that volatility is here to stay for at least the short term and that it makes sense to, to be actively managing a portfolio. Well, I hope our audience understands that I'm going to keep this one up on the uh, on the podcast for the next two or three <laughs> years because I just I just went three for three before you finish Katie Versio you have a, a little survey that you guys are doing on the website yes if you go to evergreengk.com you can access our client compatibility survey where you can learn more about us and if you're interested in our management style and if we could be a good fit you can take our client compatibility survey talk about a great fit evergreen golf call has been just a terrific partner and sponsor of Mitch Unfiltered since the beginning, where would we be without them? Evergreen Golf Call, everything wealth. Unfiltered. Crawford to center field, not deep. Sprinting in Springer, and Bichette and Springer collide. The ball falls, and everybody's going to score. The Mariners have tied the game, and now Bichette and Springer are laid out in the outfield. Now the lead, here's the pitch of the way, 
his hands, and the Mariners, for the first time in the ballgame, have a 10-9 miraculous lead. Swing and a fly ball, center field, coming in, Julio. He makes the catch, and the ballgame is over. The Mariners win the wild card series. They're going to Houston to take on the Astros. Well, basking in the Mariners' glow, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a long time coming. Former Mets GM and current baseball voice on Sirius XM, MLB Network, Stadium Sports, you name it. My friend Steve Phillips. Steve, how many shows would you say we've done together over the years? Oh, boy. I, I mean, I mean, it's it's dozens and potentially hundreds so far. <laughs> and how many times have I asked you about the playoff Seattle Mariners? So that would be never because uh, our, our time together, although I've enjoyed it immensely, post-dates 2001. So this is it, my friend. Well, hopefully this isn't the last time I ask you about Mariners playoff baseball. I don't think I ever have. Okay, level of surprise, Steve, that they won the series. Level of surprise that they swept the two games in Toronto, 1-10. to 10. Uh, No, I wouldn't say surprise. I would say, you know, a 6 I mean, I thought it was going to be a closely matched series. I mean, they're very similar teams. I mean, Julio Rodriguez is to Seattle what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is to Toronto. Mitch Hanniger is to, to Seattle what George Springer is to Toronto. And, and they both had Luis Castillo, Alec Manoa. Uh, you know, there's, there were a lot of similarities. The differences, though, were what I thought would be a more well-rounded supporting lineup around the stars for Toronto and a much better bullpen for Seattle. Now the Seattle bullpen certainly outpits the Toronto bullpen, uh, but I tell you, I give them a ton of credit uh, with what they did down eight to one to come storming back in that game. I think John Snyder, the manager for the Blue Jays, made a, a horrific tactical move yeah, yeah. when he took Gosman out of the game with the bases loaded after he looked like he was going to get out of the jam and brought in Tim Mesa, you know, through the lefty and turned Santana around. He's a better hitter from the right side, and so I didn't get that. Uh, and I think that started the ball rolling, and at that point. Serrano could not stop it. And, and then obviously the collision play in the eighth inning was, was horrific. Not the way anybody wants to tie a game and then go on to win. But, you know, those are the things that happen in baseball. I was going to ask you if there was one thing that you circle from one of the greatest comebacks in playoff history. Maybe you answered it. Is it the Santana decision? Is it a decision that not only Schneider regrets, but maybe costs him the opportunity at the long-time job? So I don't think it's going to cost him for the job because my guess is that someone in the analytics department had a conversation with him to discuss that situation. Uh, so I don't think it's going to cost him his job. He did a really nice job. They played from when he took over, they played at 101 win pace. Okay. But I think that that was the, the big play for me. I just didn't understand the logic. Mace is not a swing and miss pitcher. And, the, and that was the difference between the bullpens. Seattle's got swing and miss arms in the bullpen and, and the Jays guys pitch to contact. And, you know, you make contact in these games with everybody locked in, you're going to do some damage. So I think that was the single critical factor that let them back in. And then obviously the pop-up, you know, which was at that point, you're thinking for Toronto and for Seattle on their side, the baseball gods are on their yeah. side. I mean, that yeah. was the most perfectly placed blooper right. that was right in between both guys, you know, five feet further to the outfield, five feet further to the infield, and it would have been an out in an end of the inning. And instead uh, it turns into big three run play. Yeah. Talk about service on the other side, Scott service and his managerial decisions. One big one, which has me wondering why he didn't do it during the regular season. Cal Raleigh, Steve, he goes 
into the cleanup spot. I think for the first time in his career for game one of the playoffs, he stays there in game two, and he uh, had a great little two mini game series, and he just looks like the guy you want up no matter his 220 batting average. He's the guy the Mariners seem to want up in big situations. Absolutely. He puts together quality at bats. He's a good looking player. He's a good defensive catcher. Uh, and what an emergence in, in, you know, adding length and depth to the lineup for them uh, with power potential and, and he'll work the count. And so he's, he is such a good player. I love his demeanor, love the makeup, love the leadership. They got a lot of really good things going on with him. He's a guy that, you know, you hear all about Julio Rodriguez. We know about Logan Gilbert and George Kirby and that, but Raleigh, I'm telling you, was as critical a factor for that team as just about anybody. Okay, the Astros are going to be huge favorites, understandably so for many reasons. We give the Mariners a puncher's chance or something more than that in the divisional series, Steve? Well, I, I give them a puncher's chance. I mean, I I mean, Houston is the best team in baseball right now. Better than the Dodgers for me. They're better than everybody else. And just what that means is, remember, we know that on any given day, the team with the worst record can beat the team with the best record. It just comes down to well, how much margin for error do you have? How much do you have to play closer to a perfect game to try to win? Listen, the firepower for Seattle, it's going to be about driving the ball out of the ballpark. It's going to be, you know, I mean, last year in the postseason in 37 games, 25 and two was the record for the team that hit more home runs in a game. Oh. They went 25 and two. The other yeah. 10 games, both teams had the same number of home runs. Okay. So hitting home runs in the postseason is critical. And certainly they have the potential to do it. Santana had some good at bats. Raleigh can certainly do that. We know J rod did not you know, have a great series necessarily on the second day, but first day was good. So they they've got, you know, Suarez, they've got a lot of guys that can hit the ball in the ballpark and they've got swing and miss stuff. They've got to get over the, you know, we don't play well in Houston thing, which is a thing. Uh, and they've got to get beyond that. And I listen, I lived that thing with my Mets teams against Atlanta. We just, we could not beat them in Atlanta and, and it didn't matter. And it felt like that too. When we went in there mm -hmm. and it just, as soon as something went wrong, you felt, Oh, there it is. That's the thing today. That's going to cost us the game. They've got to find a way around that. And to me, that's an early lead where they can keep adding on to it. Uh, so you're not having to, you know, hold on to a two run lead. And then, you know, sooner or later, Houston's coming back on you. Right. Uh, they really need to sort of get out in front and hold that advantage. So maybe you just answered my next question. If I asked you to close your eyes and picture a Mariners upset in the ALDS of Houston, what does that look like specifically? How's that going to happen? Yeah, that's Luis Castillo being overpowering and Logan Gilbert being overpowering. Right. And it's seven two wins, you know, winning by four or five runs to where it's too much of an obstacle for, or at least at some point, a four or five run lead in the game. Uh, now, Seawall's worrying me a little bit right now. He wasn't great at the end of the year, and he's not, uh, he's did not pitch well in this series. Other than that, they've got the arms are phenomenal. And, and I think Kirby in the bullpen came out and his stuff played up as well. So it's, it's going to be the, the, the Mariners winning games, you know, by three or four runs that, that they've, built that protection and just if the pressure gets too tight the Astros elevate their level of play uh, and do it now the question is can you score seven runs on Verlander and Framber Valdez and, and uh, you know Lance McCullers Jr. and Luis Garcia and you know the whole crop of guys they have there that's going to be a tough task there's no question about it mm -hmm. uh, but you know what? It was going to be a tough task in Toronto. They went right into the Rogers Center and took two in a row. So let's talk about the scheduling of this series as if the Astros weren't favorites enough and as if it didn't set up great for the Astros to begin with. Major League Baseball puts a day off in between both games one and two, Steve. 
and games two and three, which allows the game one starters to pitch in game four on four days rest on Sunday. Now, of course, Luis Castillo probably won't pitch game one because that would only be three days rest from his start in Toronto. So what it really does is advantage Justin Verlander. He can uh, pitch in game one. He can pitch in game four if there is one on four days rest. He can pitch on ga- in game five on five days rest. I don't understand the scheduling of the series. Want to take a shot at helping me out with that? Well, you know, they've always sort of built in off days uh, throughout the series. Uh, it's not the first time they've done it. And so they've had it where, you know, they play a day- game, take a day off, play a game, take a day off uh, in one of the series. And it does. It changes the whole thing. Not only does it it change what happens for the starters, but it allows you to bring your premium relievers back, you know, each day because there's no fatigue factor. They're getting a day of rest between each of the first couple of games. So it allows you to, you know, really pitch with a starter and three relievers two days in a row, your best guys uh, in those moments. And so, and in some ways I, I like Seattle's bullpen a little bit better than I like Houston's bullpen. I, I, I look, I like Houston's bullpen, but I'm not convinced that you can't steal a game from Presley at the end. I'm not convinced that Montero can't be scored upon. That's to me where ideally get some runs on the board, put pressure on them. But if you're close, keep that going, knowing that you've got a chance maybe to get, they're not completely a shutdown necessarily as I think Seattle's bullpen is. You've always been a big Robbie Ray fan, Steve. You and I have talked about the acquisition. There's a Robbie Ray conundrum here in the Pacific Northwest. There are a lot of people out here that didn't want him to start game two because he stumbled down the stretch of the regular season, and we saw how that went in Toronto. You've got Gilbert. You've got Castillo. You've got George Kirby, Marco Gonzalez to a lesser extent. Would you consider passing over him in the divisional series and allow him to come out of the bullpen? And then the other question is what kind of a – message does that send and do you worry about the long-term ramifications of a decision like that I'm sure Scott Service is pouring over that right now with Jerry Depoto. yeah so so I don't worry about feelings too much right now for guys because that you know I mean listen we're all in this to win you know it's like Garrett Cole New York said I, I didn't come here to be the game one starter I came here to win a series so if they want to start Nestor Cortez in game one then I'll pitch when they tell me to pitch like Now, he said it, and I don't know whether he means it or whether he'd be offended by it, but, you know, if guys get offended, they get motivated. And so I don't, I typically don't worry too much about that right now for the long term. But I do think that I would still pitch Ray. You know, it was a tough matchup for me, for him going to Toronto. You you got all the right-handed bats there, the uh, familiarity, the awareness, they they know him, they know his MO. He's the high fastball and he's the slider down and away from the lefty and down and into the right-hander. And, you know, it was not a great matchup for him, but I also want to have, the left-hander in there. I wouldn't put Gonzalez in before I'd put Ray in. Ray can still get some swings and misses. Against Houston, you need pitchers that can get swings and misses. You can't really be pitching to contact uh, against them. And Ray can get strikeouts. So I don't mind having somebody to neutralize Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez. I mean, that's the other part in all of that is that, you know, two of their big producers are left-handed bats. So Ray still gets the ball for me, likely in game three. Does it change anything if I told you that in three or four starts against Houston this year, he's got an 11 ERA and he's by far and away the worst numbers wise of any of the Mariners pitchers in the season against the Astros? Yeah, so it doesn't for me. I okay. still pitch them, okay. but I back them up. I back them up with with 
either Marco Gonzalez or Kirby. If there's a, a need to go early, then you go get him early. You're going to have a fresh bullpen coming off of a second off day. That's why it's not bad to have him pitching game three because you're going to have a rested pen in front of that game to be able to have him get out there and pitch. And so I think that's the right slot for him. I would still put him out there. He's a veteran guy. You know, he's a proud guy. He's a former uh, uh, Cy Young Award winner. And I do think that, that I'll take the experience in that moment and back it up with the young, youthful power right-hander Kirby if I have to, or just get another crafty left-hander in Gonzalez, which would at least be a different look if they have to back up Ray. All right, my final question for Steve Phillips, Sirius XM, and it's probably not the right time to talk about this because we have such exciting stuff coming up in the uh, near future. But in our last show together, Steve, you radiated some optimism that the Mariners could get Luis Castillo extended. And you were right on the button. They were able to do it before the offseason. And so they've got Castillo now. Julio locked up for a lot of years. They've got, of course, Gilbert and Kirby for many, many years under club control. And they're a playoff team. They've got just about every piece that they want coming back next year. And they're going to add to it in the uh, in the offseason. It's hard not to get excited, Steve. This is uncommon ground for me and you it's it's really difficult not to think that whatever changes are going to happen with the Astros in the in the AOS it's hard not to think that this Mariners team is built for the long term don't you think yeah oh absolutely I 100% agree with you Castillo's stuff in his start against Toronto was as dominating as I've seen this year it barrels into the hands of the right-handed hitters I mean it's it's like a buzzsaw coming in there uh, with the way he throws that two-seam fastball. He's got a great feel for the breaking ball and the changeup. He's got as good a stuff as there is in the big leagues, and, and he elevated it uh, in that game. And then, you know, you've with Gilbert and what he's going to be, he's going to keep growing. He's going to become a strikeout pitcher even more than what he is right now. Kirby is as well. And look, you're a solid defensive team. You've got firepower, star power, power bats. You've got some speed. I think that, that you know, this is the start of what is going to be a really nice run for the Seattle Mariners. Steve Phillips is my guy. He's been great to us on the radio and now on the podcast. Enjoy the remainder of the postseason. I'm gonna I'm gonna bother you again at the end of the uh, the Astros and Mariners series. Thanks so very much for being back on, Steve. Always my pleasure, Miss. Thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, Zeke's Pizza President Dan Black with an update on all the exciting stuff happening in their world. It's football season, Dan. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, we're always excited for football season. Can't wait for the Hawks. Can't wait for the dogs. Uh, we're ready to go. Summer has gotten away from us, but some exciting additions to the Zeke's Pizza family. We've got Mount Lake Terrace. We've got Seward Park, both open on the same day. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, when you open restaurants, it's kind of fluid as to the exact opening dates right up until the end. And it turns out that Terrace Station up in Mount Lake Terrace and Seward Park both opened on August 24th. They're both doing great. I've mentioned before that they're both full-blown pizza pubs. It's the full Zeke's experience. I love hanging out at both places. Seward Park has actually become my on-the-way-home beer spot, even though it's totally not on my way home. So uh, that speaks to how cool that one is. It's very neighborhoody, And so, yeah, that's they're, they're both really great. It's amazing because now you're south to Tacoma. You're north yep. to Bellingham. We know about 
Spokane, and now some exciting news about going out of state. Yeah, I think I mentioned we were working on a deal in Boise maybe, but we got it done a couple of weeks ago, and that is really exciting. It'll be our first one out of Washington State. Boise is obviously an exciting up-and-coming city that's that's been booming for a while, and a lot of cool energy down there. It's a really great match for Zeke's. They're very outdoorsy down there, which is always a great connection for us. So we'll be up in eight to ten weeks. It'll be a great beer drinking spot, and we think people in Idaho are going to like Zeke's a lot. It's unimaginable how large the footprint has become, Dan. Operationally, what are the challenges for you guys? Yeah, not only have we been opening quite a few units just in general, but the, the big story, as you mentioned recently, is the expansion of the footprint with Bellingham, Spokane, and Boise coming in relatively short order. Uh, it does create some operational challenges. The main one is is dough, and the way we've solved that, it's actually a great thing for the customer. The, the ones that are out of our commissary range, mm-hmm. they make their dough fresh on site every day, and so it's actually even fresher than, than what you get in Seattle, even though we do that every day in the morning here, too. But um, So it's so far, it's been great. What's the Black family eating these days? You know, I think I've mentioned our new pepperoni from a company called Coro in town that used to be Salumi, and their, all their products are really great, but we switched over to their pepperoni a few months ago, and <laughs> we the Black family can't order anything different, so we've been eating Puget Pounders, John Candies, Dragons. It's the pepperoni is really good. That's what we're on right now. I think we're going to be on it for a while because it's, uh, like I say, it's tough to get away from it. It's that good. Very, very exciting. Mount Lake Terrace Station, Seward Park, Boise still yet to come. Amazing things happening at Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Play action. Smith sets up at midfield. He wants the end zone. He wants Lockett. This one, a 40 yards. There's no running backs. There's no wide receivers on the field right now. And that means they're going to run it with Hill. This is what he could go. It's him, and now he's gone. It's a foot race, but the speed of one will he get there. We had our chances and we had all kinds of opportunities to, to get this done. And uh, there was too many things that went wrong that uh, gave him another opportunity here and there and, and uh, made it too easy on him. Taco Time Northwest presents the Seahawks No Table. I'm not sure how much of a No Table it is. I'd like to say that we lost Joe Fan Brady Henderson this week because he's just disgusted. He's thrown his hands up. And after watching the Saints and the Seahawks, he's decided, I can't talk about this right now. I need some cooling down time. But that's not necessarily the case. He's traveling, so it's just you and me this week. I I picture Joe doing what K.J. Hamler did at the end of that Thursday night Broncos game where he (laughs) rips his helmet off and uh, slams it against the turf. That was Joe with the headsets, though, not a helmet. Dare I start by asking you how the Seahawks lost 39-32? to how they put up 32 points against a team that was supposed to have a pretty good defense at their place and still found a way to lose the game. Is it as obvious as it seems? Yeah, their defense is just terrible. And, you know, I have said for a few weeks now that I I think that they're going to get better. Now, part of that is because it's hard to get much worse than allowing, you know, 45 points. Uh, They were a little better in that regard, only allowing 39 and, and, you know, the yardage was down, but, this was, again, for the second straight week, 
getting gashed by a team that is was shorthanded on offense. And I think that there are so many indicting aspects of how bad their defense has been. And that's one of them. You know, the, the remember the Lions last week were without their best running back, uh, without their top two receivers. And the Saints were without their starting quarterback today. Now, granted, I don't know how much of a drop off there actually is from Jameis Winston to Andy Dalton. But that aside, they were down their number one receiver in Mike Thomas, their number two receiver uh, in Jarvis Landry. And they played without maybe their number three receiver, Chris Olave, for most of the second half. So you're talking about four of their you know, their quarterback plus three of their best players on offense. And the Seahawks defense was still a disaster. And we, we'll get into Taysom Hill. Uh, just had no answer for him when I think they should have had an answer for him, knowing that he had to factor heavily into this game with all the other injuries that they had. And when he's out there, even though he did throw a touchdown pass, you can pretty much hunker down on run. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, you, you know, what's coming when he's out there, even when the Seahawks kind of know what's coming, they can do nothing to resist and nothing to stop it. Yeah, and, and he had the nice touchdown pass. But when he beats you with a touchdown pass, I think you just got to tip your cap to him. And I, I'm with you. And I think you know some players kind of expressed as much. Like Ryan Neal was pretty vocal about it, saying that when he's under center, you know what's coming. And they still weren't able to stop it. And you know, I, I go back to the other injuries that they had that the Saints had. You just had to know that Taysom Hill was going to be a huge part of their game plan especially without Dalton, it's kind of mind-boggling that he beat them as badly as he did. So every single week we go through this, and I ask you the same question, which is, what do they say after the games? What do they say during the week when we talk on our patron episode? They give us lip service, and Clint Hurd has got great, great quotes, and Pete Carroll says these things on radio, and then he says these things. And yet week after week, and it almost feels like year after year, we're disappointed with the Seattle Seahawks defense. Yeah, this is three straight years now. And again, I, I go back to the fact that they have turned it around. I just don't see that turnaround in sight now. It, it's, I mean, I, before this week, I, I guess I would have told you that I think it's going to happen just because it has happened. But this is just so bad. And again, it, it's against offenses that shouldn't be giving the Seahawks this much trouble. I don't know what the fix is uh, in part because I don't really know what the problem is. And, and granted, it's probably multiple things, but it's hard for, for an observer, anybody who's not there and really knowing the ins and outs of the defense to know if this is more of an issue of having to iron out kinks in a new scheme. And that if some of this is inevitable or if this is just a matter of bad like, football they have, players, they don't have the guys go through it. Is Woods a bad football player? Is Puna no. Ford a bad football player? Is Brooks a bad football player? Is Woolen a bad football player? Is Diggs a bad football player? Is the guy that they got from San Diego and Wosu a bad football player? No. I, my, I mean, my guess is, know, is you would say no to every single guy that I just mentioned. Well, I just listed eight guys. How, how could they be this bad? It's incomprehensible that a group yeah. of players could be this bad. Yeah, and you didn't mention Cody Barton. You know, he's the one guy where we we have not seen him start and play well at a consistent on a consistent basis. So he I think he he is the question mark there where you don't really know what you have in him and maybe he is just not a good starter. But yeah, those other guys it's just not happening for them for some reason. And Wollen and Jackson and Kobe Bryant, you know, the three young corners who are playing, like you're going to expect some some growing pains from them, but 
you know, I don't, I don't think Jordan Brooks has played all that well. Quandre Diggs hasn't played all that well. And he's a guy who's told you that he was going to be their defensive MVP or their MVP this season. He was their defensive MVP last year, got a big contract in the off season. And he's been kind of quiet, missed more tackles than he's made big plays. There was yet another one, uh, another whiff on the, uh, the long Taysom Hill touchdown run. So, I mean, Uchenna Nwosu is playing well. Trig Wolin is flashing some brilliance. Aside from that, I just don't know who is playing well on defense. Like, I can't think of anybody. It feels like that the sentiment here is poor Geno Smith. Because Geno Smith goes out there week after week and plays his heart out. And we, we get closer and closer to the realization that maybe this Geno Smith thing is for real, that it's not an aberration, that he's just found a new lease on life. He's got an opportunity. It's his offense. It's his team. He's making the most of it. Some of the throws that he made on Sunday against the Saints, Brady, incredible. Some of those long balls, we all talked about how great of a long ball passer Russell Wilson was from the day that he arrived to the day that he left. Some of those long balls were just right on the money from Geno Smith to Tyler Lockett and the like. Yeah, the two the two touchdown passes to Tyler Lockett were things of beauty. And you, you the first one was great, and the second one was, was even, even better. better. And that was, yeah, that, that's really the one thing that had been missing uh, from their offense, really over the first three games, I would say, is there just was not a whole lot of downfield success. It was short and intermediate um, I don't want to say dink and dunk because they did have some good intermediate stuff in there, but you just did not see those deep shots. Like what you saw so consistently over the years from Russell Wilson and the deep shots that they had, I think before this game, it was more of like the, it wasn't the heave that you saw on, on the second lock touchdown run. And that was just a great play by Smith all around stepping up in the pocket to help out the tackle, knowing the situation, knowing that with what was it? 14 seconds left in the half, no timeouts, that ball either has to go to the sideline where your guy can get out of bounds or it's got to go in the end zone. So it's either got to be a touchdown, an incompletion or a ball to the sideline where you stop the clock there. So great awareness of the situation and just a, an exquisite throw to, I mean, you could not have placed that ball. If he was standing over Tyler Lockett, couldn't have placed it in a better spot there. So it's just, it's getting harder and harder to, to write this off as any sort of a fluke as crazy as it is to sound like Geno Smith looks like, a starting like an above average starting quarterback. And I, I don't, I don't think anybody deserves like blame for not seeing that coming because I don't, there was really not a whole lot of evidence to, to point to, to, to think that that could be coming other than maybe the one start last year against Jacksonville, you know, when he was really good against the bad team. So it's surprising. And uh, it's really, you know, and like you said, poor defense is really wasting what would otherwise be one of the great NFL stories of the season. Let me go back to what you just said. He looks like through five games, an above average NFL quarterback. I got news for you. He looks better than that through five games because through five games, he's 75% passing. He's on a pace for 4,500 yards, 31 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. Oh, by the way, those numbers are better than Russell Wilson. Oh, by the way, those numbers are better than Aaron Rodgers. And oh, by the way, those numbers are better through five games than Tom Brady. He looks not like an above average quarterback through five games. He looks like a Pro Bowl. Literally, if the yeah. Pro if the Pro Bowl were announced today, which it isn't, and it's stupid to even talk about, <laughs> Geno Smith would be in the Pro Bowl. He would be on the NFC Pro Bowl team. He's having a better season than just about every quarterback in the NFC. 
That's how good he's been. And if I had told you that before the season started, if I had told you through five games, this would be the pace that Gino would be on. You'd be like, first of all, you would have committed me to some asylum. Secondly, you would say, okay, if you tell me that he's going to be that good and the passing game's going to be that good, well, the defense we know has some good young players. They will be right in the middle of the NFC West race. That's what you would have said to me, right? Had I told yeah. you this before the season started. No, and, and and maybe I am selling him short by by just saying he's an above average. I mean, if you did one of those, I always like when the the graphics teams on on TV do those like blank, you know, player profile. They don't show you the, the player's face. They just show you the stats, right? And like if 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 you just showed Geno's stats, right? What would you think of that? You know, and, and not Aaron, knowing who Aaron, it was Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, somebody not yeah. named Geno Smith, right? Yeah, and, and you know, before this season, I would have thought that if Geno Smith is playing at a really high level, it's because they're doing everything right around him and they're running the heck out of the ball and they're asking him to throw it 23 times a game. I, I think he had 25 attempts in this game, but he has done more than just the game manager. He's handled a lot more than that. And you're seeing him do a lot of really good stuff at the line of scrimmage in terms of changing plays, uh, not putting the ball in running way for the most part. He, you know, he's had a couple dangerous throws, he's but he's taken you know, off. He's taken off and gotten from first yes. down, some big first downs. Yes. With, with and making legs. plays with yes. his legs, which yes. I, another thing I, I would not have expected, you know, it's not like he's a statue back there, but, 31 years old. I think he turns 32 in, in a day or two. And that was not something that you really saw a whole lot of last season or even in training camp was him making plays with his legs. He, there was one preseason game where he did, I think the Pittsburgh game, but that's been a pleasant surprise. He had the 13 yard scramble in this game. And then he had that great throw. Maybe his second best throw of the day behind the second touchdown to lock. It was the one he made while moving to his left where he hits Noah Fant for a 32 yard gain. And that is not, and well, I don't know, cause I've never done it, but I imagine that that is a very difficult throw for a quarterback to make Incredible. while moving to his left, where you got to go back across your body and, and have the ball not carry out of bounds. So I just can't say enough about how so well going back to the original thought, the sentiment here about Gino getting jobbed on Sunday in new Orleans. He not only got jobbed by one of the worst defenses in the NFL against a poor excuse of a saints offense, considering their personnel. He got job by some other things that I want you to mention and I want you to talk about. The DK drop in the end zone, that was a great throw, right on the button, and DK dropped the ball. DK also fumbled the ball on the first play of the third quarter on a catch. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't get a great look at the replay of the drop in the end zone. It looked like a good enough throw. And I, I don't know if maybe there was it, there was some traffic there in his vision where he just kind of lost track of it yeah. uh, as it was arriving. I, I don't I'd have to take another look at it. But his elbow looked like it was down, but it also looked like the ball was obscured enough on the replay to where it wasn't convincing enough to overturn that. And if that had been called uh, down by contact on the field, I think it would have stayed. I just think there was not enough evidence there to, to overturn it, but certainly a big play. And I think you got to kind of look, the Seahawks defense was terrible. There's no debating that, but there were two times where, you know, they were kind of put in bad situations. There was the Dixon, whatever the heck you want to call that, the, yes. the fumble I mean, on the punt. Yeah. And then the, the Metcalf fumble where, you know, they kind of had to defend a short field. They can't defend long fields, so you can't really expect them to defend short fields. <laughs> the hold on cross where Gino rolls to his left, kind of a bang-bang play, could have been called either way. They called it. He did grab a hold on him, but that's a touchdown. That's a touchdown to DK Metcalf that gets called back, and now you're out of field goal range 
as a result of that play. Just so many of these things. The 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 awful fake punt. Do you have any explanation in the locker room? You just you just mentioned it. Anybody talking about the awful fake punt? What was Michael Dixon doing? Well, he was, yeah, that was not a fake. Uh, that was not no? a fake. Pete Carroll was clear on that. He, he said it was it was designed to be one of those, you know, on the run rugby style kicks that we've seen Dixon do. Uh, and I guess the idea is you're just changing the angle for the returner. In my opinion, that's getting a little too cute when you're that far backed up against your end zone. Well, why did he punt it? Why, he, he clearly had enough time to punt it. Why, why did he why did he tuck it in? It looked like he was looking that he saw daylight, that he was taking off for daylight. He could have punted that three times by the by the time. That, that's what it looked like to me. But Carroll said that he just he hesitated because he felt like it was getting a little too jumbled in there and, and really? felt like he. Yeah, I'm not sure I yeah. buy that ex, that explanation. That didn't look like yeah. that to me. It looked like a guy who had the green light if he wanted to. Some coaches say to the punter, hey, if you see an open field, we're not going to call a fake punt, but if you see an open field and you've got it, take off and get it. That's what it looked like to me. Like he was angling for the punt. He looked up and he thought he saw something that wasn't there and he took off. That's what it looked like to me. Now, it was clear that it wasn't that throwing the ball was not an option on that. No, play. no, if you no, watch no, it. Right, there's yeah. no, no, no Seahawks players are turning around looking right. for the ball. So right. Carroll had an interesting comment on it he was talking about how you know the the idea there is to kick it on the run but he said that sometimes when you do that you might have to keep it if things get jumbled there and i just think that when you're that far down in your own territory God. it's just getting a little too cute just punt the God. ball you got maybe the best punter in the nfl one of the strongest legs in the nfl just punt the ball and cover it 12 penalties brady not good yeah and and, and you know the cross penalty it, it was borderline I think that the defensive lineman did an excellent job of selling it for one thing. Greg Bell pointed this out. And I think it's a good point that when typically when the offensive lineman keeps his hands within the framework of the defender's pads, right? So you got your hands in his chest. They're not out grabbing the shoulder or anything like that. When you've got the hands on the guy's breastplate, officials usually will let a little bit more slide. They usually will let calls like that slide. And Carroll even sort of said the same thing. Now, he is, always has to choose his words carefully because, you know, he doesn't want to get fined. But he seemed to be under the same impression that that's usually a call that is allowed to happen. Now, I think it definitely hurt when Geno Smith runs right by the guy. So the play, ha- the, the whole play ha- is happening right there with the official's eyes on it. And I don't know, you know, if if Cross doesn't hold that guy, maybe Geno Smith doesn't get out for the touchdown pass so who knows but either way it it was a huge play in the game but that's only one of the 12 penalties there were a lot of penalties on defense that extended drives that gave automatic first downs it just it's hard for an old timer like me not to say undisciplined football team when 12 penalties pop up in a game that you should have won yeah and you know that's been their achilles heel or was their achilles heel for so many years and they seem like they kind of put that behind them for the last couple seasons. And then here it is again. I mean, I, I, I don't want to say this is all on young players, but a, a common thread is you've got a lot of young players there who are making those mistakes. And so, but then again, you know, Yuchenna Nwosu, he's not a young player and he jumped off sides, gave him a free first down on third and five. So it's, it's hard to pinpoint why or what it is, but it definitely hurt them in this game. So before we get to their next game, Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny's season probably over. Rashad Penny's career as a Seahawk, very likely on a one-year contract, could be over. And we see the passing of the torch. 
to the new young rookie who had a big long run on Sunday against the Saints? Ready or not, it is Ken Walker time. And that's obviously is a big reason why they spent a second round pick on him, even though they had just resigned Penny is knowing that you just can't really count on Penny to play a full season. And uh, those fears came to fruition in this game. And, and yeah, Pete Carroll did not declare that Penny is out for the season. He stopped short of saying that, but that was very much the impression that he gave. It sounds unlikely that he is going to be back this season. And boy, Ken Walker looked excellent on that touchdown run. You saw everything there, the vision, the burst. I mean, there was nobody had a chance at catching him. You know, before he went down in the summer with the hernia injury, he looked like he was a guy that was going to factor heavily into this offense and, and really looked like he was more advanced as a receiver out of the backfield than I would have thought, given the fact that he wasn't really used that way in college. And, you know, you saw, I think over the first three games that he played, there was, you could tell that, you know, maybe the playbook, he's still getting a handle on. There was a couple of times where he just went the wrong way on a handoff um, and didn't do a whole lot with the carries that he got. I think it was like 58 yards on, on 15 carries. Hard to really do a whole lot when you're not carrying the ball that much, but he they're going to need him. And, you know, I think that's, we talk about Geno Smith and everything he's done. You know, there's going to be more pressure on Geno without Rashad Penny being able to lean on him. And Ken Walker, this is Tough situation for him, probably earlier than they wanted him to play, but he, he's he got to step up right now, and he's going to have to be the guy. So the Cardinals come here off of a loss, a close call loss to the Eagles. The Seahawks return home. Are you, if you're a Seahawks fan, more encouraged about these games and these results heading into these games because the offense is so much better than you thought that they would be to start the season? Or are you... Are you less confident because the defense is so bad or does one kind of negate the other so you feel about these games just about the way you thought you were going to feel about them before the season started? It's just a a different mix, a different combination. It's probably the latter. Yeah, like uh, I feel about this team like you would feel about a two and three team, you know, through five weeks. I guess the 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 thing that they've got going for them is that the NFC West to this point has been so muddied you know it's yeah. uh, every team was two and two heading into week five they got arizona next week coming off a, a you know 20 to 17 loss to philadelphia the rams yeah, i mean the rams lost to the cowboys big at home yeah. in los angeles yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, so a backup quarterback and yeah. cooper rush and so we weren't even talking about playoffs at the beginning of this season and so i i guess maybe they are the way that the offense has played is actually given you some hope you know i i still don't think they're a playoff team but it doesn't seem as as far-fetched as it did for them to at least be in the mix late in the season so i guess that that's the encouraging i guess maybe the offense is more encouraging in that regard that with geno smith playing at this level things that didn't seem possible for them seem it's to some degree plausible just for them to be a competitive team this year. It's just, it's just a matter of when. And and I think if their defense can turn it around, should we let Joe back in the front door of the Seahawks no table for uh, the patron show that's released on Friday, or should we bolt it up, lock it up and pretend we never saw him before? I, I, well, I love Joe, but I would be okay with him sitting out a couple of weeks just so that I can have a better chance at getting back in this KP race. Grady, Joe's not your problem in the KP competition. You're looking at your problem. Did you get it in this yeah, one? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of, oh, of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known. Of course you did. We'll follow Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, all the way through the week as we get ready for the Cardinals on Sunday. And I guess that's the first, no, the second NFC West opponent of the season, the first home NFC West opponent of the year as the Seahawks dropped to two and three. Very disappointing because Geno looks so very good, and yet the defense is just 
all-time bad. Brady, thank you. Thanks for being with us. Safe, safe trip home from New Orleans. Okay, thanks, Mitch. See ya. Hey, look who's back. Look who's back. Jordan Flowers, cross-country mortgage. Hear what I did there? Cross-country mortgage in Kirkland, weathering the interest rate storm to continually provide his clients cost-cutting opportunities. How are you, J-Flow? Doing great. We're back in the swing of things with school starting, kids' activities. It's a fun time. What's new over there? What are you working on these days? You know, we are staying incredibly busy really right now. It's just educational information for agents and buyers. We're helping agents with their listings, trying to help them see win-win scenarios for their sellers and buyers, trying to keep sales prices up for those sellers to get all the equity they can in the home, but also help buyers see the monthly payment that they kind of had slated in their head so putting together different payment options and programs for them there and then holding a lot of home buyer seminars home buyer classes so if anybody listening is interested in just coming to a informational home buying seminar and what's available to you and what to be looking for when buying a home then email me and we'll get you on the next slated home buying class okay i'll ask you for your email at the end because borrowing money has become hopefully temporarily expensive We've seen a little slowdown in home values, but not as much as you would think. Why do you think that is, Jordan? Yeah, we've not seen much of a dip here. And you might read in the newspapers that a huge crash is coming. We don't really see that happening and playing out in this market. I think we have a very strong economy in general in this Seattle market. We've always been protected, even in the worst times. The last time we went through this in 08, 09, but really prices have leveled out. We're not depreciating. We're just not appreciating as quickly. So I would say still, it's a great time to list. You might not be getting a million dollars over list like we were at the beginning of the year, but we're still gaining value. And overall in King County, it's maybe two, 3% right now, but pure Snohomish, we're still looking great. You and your team, of course, kind of famously made the career shift from the former company, let's call it, to cross country. What does that change mean to your clients, Jordan? Yeah, the the switch was really an opportunity for us to have more programs and products available to a larger audience base that we work with, self-employed borrowers, unique income scenario borrowers, investment property buyers, and just a more direct line to underwriting for us to make more make sense decisions on the clients that we have, as well as a much larger product offering for jumbo buyers. So opened up the product mix for us. If you want to take a class or you want to learn a little bit more about home buying, what's the, uh, you always give us your phone number. What's the email for Jordan Flowers? Yeah, my email is Jordan, J O R D A N, period, flowers, F L O W E R S, at myccmortgage.com. Jordan.flowers at myccmortgage.com. We love Jordan Flowers. We love Cross Country Mortgage, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. For the Aggies. King to throw for it to the corner. Incomplete. Alabama survives at home. You know, it's Taco Time Northwest's 60th birthday, and by celebrating 60-cent crisp tacos every Tuesday. 60-cent crisp Mm. tacos every Tuesday in October to celebrate their 60th birthday. And let me tell you something. 
I could use 60 cent tacos <laughs> after I bet the over in the Illinois Iowa game. I was told oh. it was going to go over 35. The final score, ladies and gentlemen, from <laughs> 1928, Illinois nine and Iowa six, New Heisel. You know, as I saw that final come across the uh, ticker, Mitch, I thought of you <laughs> and I said, I actually think. He's enjoying this more than if we could have extended our streak even further. Oh, God. I really think he's so looking forward to just beating me about, oh. you know, my college football knowledge. Hey, listen, 35 points. Here's what these people in Vegas do. They lure you in. It's like Godfather <laughs> 3. Just when you think you're back again, yeah. they bring you right back to the oh. just basement. Oh. So, uh, anyway, yeah, that, that put college offense back. <laughs> hundred years. Uh, I don't know how Brian Ferris keeps a job. Oh, wait, I do know how he keeps a job. It's his dad. Who's the head coach. Oh, okay. Well, that'll do it. Nine to six of the final, not a touchdown to be had in that game. So forget the 35 and a half and new Heisel is going to have to settle for a four and two start against the two. spread on Mitch unfiltered. We'll get his week seven selection coming up here shortly. Don't feel badly, Rick. I told you that I loved Utah in Los Angeles against your beloved alma mater. My goodness, I guess I, I have to start taking UCLA's candidacy serious now, don't I? They absolutely put on another great performance. And Dorian Thompson Robinson, who's been anything but consistent in his life, actually was. Actually was consistent. And uh, you got to give him all the credit in the world. That was uh, an outstanding performance. Uh, they deserve the win, and now they'll get a week off in anticipation of going to Eugene. Both the Ducks and the Bruins have this week off, but that's going to be a big-time game in Autzen. It's a good thing that we here in the Seattle area had the beloved Mariners to root for against the Blue Jays in the uh, first round of the playoffs because as the Mariners were dismantling and coming back from eight runs or seven runs down against the Blue Jays, hard to imagine – a University of Washington football team in Tempe, Arizona, losing to a one and four Sun Devils team. My, what a difference a couple of weeks make. I guess the honeymoon's over for Kalen DeBoer, huh? Well, yeah, that was a shocking loss. Uh, but you'll recall as you as you bask in the glow of this Mariners playoff run. Yeah, the last time they were in the postseason, Mitch, it was two thousand and one. Yeah. That was also the last time yes. that the your Huskies went down to Who was Tempe. a coach? Who was a coach? Oh, I, that let, let me think. <laughs> let me uh, go back in my uh, reservoir of memories uh, and see if I can figure that out. Oh, yeah, it yeah. was me. Yeah, it was me. Why can't they win in Tempe? What's the, there's no magic in there. There's nobody there. There's not even anybody in the – why can't they win in Arizona, please? I don't know. I don't know. It's a long trip. Everybody loves to play the Huskies. That team needed to win in the worst possible way. And, and unfortunately, Michael Penix had that ball get tipped out of his hands and it ends up in a pick six. And those are the kind of things that the anatomy of an upset always is some turnover, some short field, some specialty, special team, either gaffed by one team or trick play by another that gives you hope. And all of a sudden you get to the fourth quarter and you've got a chance. And the, and the team that's favored all of a sudden looks around, oh, my goodness, we could lose. And that tightness ends up creeping in. Before we entirely escape the Pac-12, a good win for USC. They got a little defensive 
in their win against Washington State, a good Washington State team. So all of a sudden, USC versus UCLA looks like the old days, Rick Neuheisel, of that round. And Kevin Warren at the Big Ten office is thrilled. Yeah. Uh, not so much uh, in Las Vegas where George Klyovkov calls home. This is this is one of those things that's just continually going to haunt the uh, Pac-12. But for now, yeah. the Pac-12 is is a fun league to watch. And and don't sleep on those Ducks. Those Ducks are uh, playing pretty well as well, uh, given the fact that we kind of remember that Georgia beatdown that they took early in the season. So give me the new Heisel power ranking of the Pac-12 as we sit here today. Give me the top four teams in order on New Heisel's Pac-12 list right now. I don't have any reason to not have UCLA and USC tied. Obviously, the the Bruin non-conference schedule was weak, but uh, SC didn't exactly go and take anybody on in that time either. And the game, you know, the Stanford win, Stanford has lost uh, – they only beat Colgate mm -hmm. on the season. Mm -hmm. I mean, David Shaw mm -hmm. is uh, kind of fallen from grace. So I, I, I got those two tied teams tied. Utah yes. would be my next, and Oregon's the fourth. Utah's got to prove to me that they can do it, and they get the Trojans this week in Salt Lake City. Moving eastbound to CBS and the SEC, are the executives happy to have the Tennessee-Alabama game? Oh, this coming weekend, do you think, after what it, happened the last go? Yeah. They're giddy. Yeah. They're giddy, I yeah. promise you. Things on Rocky Top are going swimmingly. Uh, and we just did the Florida-Tennessee game that they put on a show. Oh, this is going to be off the charts. Listen, they were 1-14. Against Florida and Alabama in the last 15 years, they were 1-29. 1-14 against Florida. One in zero oh and fifteen against Alabama. Could you imagine if they Beat them knock the them year. both off in the same year in front of the home crowd? I think those of us that are going to watch the game, if we're really pulling for Tennessee, we hope that Bryce Young doesn't play. But if you want to see a classic SEC showdown, if you're the executives of CBS Sports, <laughs> you would like to see Bryce Young return for Nikki Saban. Can Tennessee win the game if Bryce Young plays? Yeah, they can because Bryce Young's not going to be full speed. Bryce Young has a shoulder separation. De depending on what grade it is, he's not going to be right. Mm -hmm. That takes a while to feel to have feel that arm feeling normal. Now he'll get a shot. He'll probably tore it all, which will mean that he's not going to feel it, but it's not going to feel like it's felt most of his life whipping it around. And because of that, he's going to struggle early because you don't get one of those shots every day to practice with it. So you're going to feel a little bit different and that will impact his performance. There's also a chance that this is all a giant smoke screen that he's not going to play again. Remember, this is a crossover game. If you're Alabama and you can't afford and you could afford a loss, this would be the loss you could afford rather than the Mississippi state or LSU down the road. Right. Because of that, I don't. I think it's 50-50 that he plays. I, I really thought he would go till the bye, given that he's probably off to the NFL after this year. And, you know, this is a pretty uh, high-priced commodity right now in Bryce Young. Have we decided you were in the booth for Auburn and Georgia in Athens? Have we decided who's better between Georgia and Alabama, or doesn't it really matter? We'll see them play at some point down the line. When full strength, they are both really good football teams, but both – 
if you talk to both Kirby and Nick and got them, you know, alone. And to be honest, they would tell you that there are some warts. They're tell you there's some places where they're not quite, which will make that game in Atlanta, assuming that that's the matchup and the high likelihood is it will be right. That's going to be a really, really fun game to cover. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I, I need to ask you for the second consecutive week about Oklahoma. I asked you about oh him last week. I asked you about Brent Venable last week. And now a week later, here I am on unfiltered asking Rick Neuheisel about an Oklahoma team that lost 40 Nine to nothing in the rivalry game with Steve Sarkeesian. This is not going well in Norman, Oklahoma. Think this through this, this, this coaching world that we live in. Brent Venables is making $6 million a year. He's lost three in a row. Your guy, uh, Mel Tucker, is making nine and a half million dollars a year. He's just lost his fourth in a row. The guy at Miami who left uh, Oregon's making eight, somewhere in the seven, $8 million a year. He just lost his third in a row. It's incredible what's going on. Oklahoma doesn't have enough team speed. First and foremost, they did. Their quarterback was not available. Dylan Gabriel didn't play, but they are not fast enough to watch Max Duggan, the uh, quarterback for TCU, Mm -hmm. zipping through their secondary untouched Mm -hmm. with guys with angles, not able to catch him. That was alarming. When you start to think about what we would consider the recruiting cachet of an Oklahoma. We have a lot of great matchups of undefeated teams and ranked teams this coming week in college football. But before we get there, we've got a few things to do. We've got some doing doing some work we've got to do here in a oh, moment. Oh, we're doing some work. And we've got to we've got to get a How about those you. defenses in that Illinois Iowa game. They, they were, were doing, doing some, some work. Either that or the <laughs> offenses weren't. I want to ask you, let's make this the I don't know what to think part of the show. There are four teams I want to ask you about. I believe all of them are undefeated, and I don't know what to think. Tennessee, we just talked about a little bit. How good are they? Ole Miss, how good are they? Oklahoma State, how good are they? TCU now. Now they got through a Kansas team that lost its uh, – Quarterback. star quarterback early yeah, in that Jaylen game. Jalen Daniels yes. went down yeah, in early the first in the game. half. Yeah. Right. So tell me, what should I think of Tennessee, Ole Miss, Oklahoma State, and TCU? Well, there's lots to like about all three, in particular because Jackson Dart, the quarterback that just arrived on the scene there in Oxford, Mississippi, yeah. had a monster game yesterday. They started out a little slow. As a matter of fact, they were behind a Vanderbilt in the first half, but the second half and the numbers – to go along with what's been one of the top rushing attacks in the country. We've got a couple of really good running backs uh, and a defense that's been formidable. Give me reason to believe that Ole Miss is for real. They won 10 for the first time ever in the regular season last year. I think they're on pace to do it again. They get Alabama at home. That will be an interesting uh, hard-fought contest here down the road. Tennessee, Fantastic. And what I was concerned about was their pass defense. They Going into last week, they were one of four teams still giving up over 300 yards a game in the throw department. They were better, and they had a great game against uh, in a tough place to play there in Baton Rouge. So give them a lot of credit for the season that they're enjoying. Before you go yeah. to Oklahoma State and TCU, you just mentioned Tennessee and Ole Miss. Who's better? I like Tennessee a little bit better. Okay just because of the experience of Hendon Hooker uh, and the dual threat ability of Hendon Hooker. Okay. Uh, and, the, and then um, uh, TCU, 
I'm still waiting to see if they've really been challenged. You can say Kansas was a five and O team and I would marvel with you and salute Lance Leipold and call him, you know, coach of the year candidate, but still Kansas, that personnel is still Kansas. I need to see TCU. And I know they ran rough shot over Oklahoma, but this is a different, this is not your mom and dad's Oklahoma, right? right? We're, right. we're, we're used to seeing speed in that deal. That's not the same. TCU be interesting to see how Sonny Dykes and company congratulations thus far. Oklahoma state is the one that I think might be the best of all of those schools that you're talking about. Can Oklahoma state find their way into the national championship final yeah. four? Yeah. 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 I I have the three biggies, right? I got Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state, yeah. and I got Michigan. Cause I think this JJ McCarthy is really good. 28 for 36 yesterday. I know he threw a pick, but almost every game somewhere in the 70 and 80% range, really talented and legs to extend plays and make plays. But then we go back to that whole thing where Ohio state, Michigan play one another. One of them is not in the big 10 national. Hey, listen, I didn't say it was perfect. I'm just telling you who the four teams are in my mind, Oklahoma state, is really good. They'll be sneaking around that chicken coop. See how what happens when you go down to the south? Yeah. You bring these <laughs> phrases back. But uh, they'll be they'll be hanging around without question. Now, not only does Taco Time love people that are doing some work and love to add their team to their team, people that love to work at TacoTimeNW.com. This is the 60th anniversary. This is 60 Cent Tacos on Tuesday. You got... As we record this, three Tuesdays left in October to go to Taco Time and get 60-cent crisp tacos. Limit two per customer, please. Can they send them to New York for me? Can they send them to New I York can. for me? I can send them to New York. So <laughs> okay. do you – I have two guys. I didn't know whether you were going to want to go first. You're going to win the coin flip and take the ball, or are you going to kick off? You want to go first or you want to go second on doing some work? I want to go second. You I want to hear your – doing some work guy when I'm around the house and I have the TV on the highlights for college football. Okay. Yes. And I hear the name Anthony Dorsett. Now people know him as Tony Dorsett, but you and I know that when he played at Pittsburgh, he was Anthony Dorsett. He wasn't Dorsett back in those days. When I hear that, when I hear that name, the 1976 Heisman trophy winner, I listen up. And when I hear that there's a kid at Pittsburgh, who broke (laughs) Anthony Dorsett's record for a game, some guy named Izzy, I'm going to try this, Abanaconda. Yeah, just think snake. Abanaconda, 36 carries, 320 yards, and six touchdowns. Let me tell you something, New Heisel. When, When Taco Time came up with the idea of doing some work, this guy's picture is right there next to the whole the whole idea. If this guy doesn't win it, if we don't give at least partial doing some work honors to Izzy Abanaconda of Pittsburgh for going 36 for 320 and six touchdowns, we should retire the segment. Uh, yeah. Izzy Abanaconda. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna, I wanna Abanaconda. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's doing some work That's just to say work. it. Exactly. <laughs> so there's my guy. Who do you got? I like it. Well, I'm going to go back to that UCLA game. I knew you were going of. to because Listen, I, he was my second choice, right? There were a, there was a there was a couple of guys doing some work. Dorian Thompson Robinson was 18 of 23 for 299 and 
and and four touchdowns. Right. But Zach Charbonnet doesn't get enough love. Yeah. He went for over a hundred against your Huskies. He's tough. He just goes twenty-two for one ninety-eight. Yeah. Against Utah, who we came into the game saying was stout against the run. No question. Twenty-two for one ninety-eight. So DTR and Zach Charbonnet. Yes. They were doing some work in their powder blue and gold. And don't forget, if you'd like to do some work. For Taco Time, Northwest Taco Time, NW.com, and the 60 Cent Tacos on Tuesday. What a week number seven. We've got Bama versus Tennessee on CBS. We've got Penn State and Michigan. I believe that's 5-0 and versus 6-0. and That's correct. We've got Big o- noon. We've got Oklahoma State versus TCU. I think that's... Ooh. That's undefeated. Game. Undefeated. But That's, there's more. There's more. I know you keep going. I know there's keep U- going. I know that Utah lost, but USC at Utah is a great game. Clemson at Florida State could be a good game. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, we have a top 25 show. We have a top 20 show. The Harvard of Upstate New no, York. Stop it. The Harvard <laughs> of Central New York. Get it right. The Harvard of Central New York. In a top 20 showdown coming off of a bye week, NC State and Syracuse for honors in the ACC. This could be to stay in the national championship Final Four picture. In and New Devin York. Leary got a little nicked up against the Florida State, so who knows what his availability will be. Ooh. You know uh, Sean Tucker and company will yes. be ready, yes. chomping at the bit. Yes. Welcome the Wolfpack. Yes. So where, where? You have to now get off the mat a little bit. You're foreign too. You got smoked. You know, some people would say, hey, listen, if you're going to lose a bet – it's better to lose it when you have the over of 35 and a half in a 9-6 game it, <laughs> than it is if it was at 34 and we were you going You realize yes. I had it all mapped out. <laughs> Iowa had the ball. If they could have come down and got the field goal and made it 9-9, <laughs> now we come just on. needed two touchdowns. <laughs> two touchdowns? It may then be- we would have been 16-16 yeah. and going into the second overtime, yeah. one field goal gets us to our number and maybe one touchdown and it's over. We got the hit and you would have just ridiculed me and I said I would have, I told you it was going to happen. <laughs> all I, I had it t- all plotted. All I can tell you is it may be a month before these two teams score two touchdowns. <laughs> so cut the nonsense and let's move on to weekend seven. Are you going to go? You know, you normally don't go with one of these showcase games. You t- I am this week. I oh. actually, there are three, three home teams that I really like. Okay. And they're games that we'll all be aware of. Okay. okay? First okay. of all, you mentioned Michigan at home. Is this one, is this one of these uh, Sundays with whipped cream and cherries from previous years? Will you give us? You're not giving us not just one. You might I'm, be giving I'm, us three. It's cherries and nuts. Cherries and cherries nuts. Cherries and nuts. Okay. Michigan at home against Penn State. Penn State's found a running game. Yeah. Nicholas Singleton, their young freshman running back, terrific. But I don't trust the quarterback. I think J.J. McCarthy and a defense that swarmed Connor Basilak, the Indiana quarterback, seven sacks, such to the fact they just canned the offensive line coach at Indiana. I, I'm going to go with Michigan at home, seven. lay the seven and a half. I got seven, seven. whatever. I've got okay. seven. Michigan minus seven with an over under 51 against Penn State. We're laying the points. We're taking the favorite in Ann Arbor. Is that 
What is that? Is that cherries? Is that nuts? I, I'm or is not that the, telling you which okay. is which is ice cream, which okay. is cherries, which is nuts. I'll do that after. Okay. The other home game that I love is BYU. Oh. Is hosting Arkansas. Arkansas has lost three in a row. They were a top ten team. They've lost three in a row. They did not have KJ Jefferson this week. Very underrated is the home field advantage in Provo. Jaron Hall and company lost to Notre Dame this weekend, but they're 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 going to be energized and ready for a home crowd feel okay. there in Provo. LaBelle Edwards Field. Yeah, I'm going to go with BYU at home right there, and I think they're just a three point favorite or something like that. That's correct. Minus three, three point favorite over under. 60. And the other yes. team that yes. I'm going to give you a little bit of feel for is this Texas Longhorn team. They are, I think, 14, 14 and a half over Iowa State at home. They just shellacked Oklahoma 49 to nothing. Quinn Ewers is back in tow at quarterback. They're feeling good. Now, that beatdown is going to resonate with them for a couple of reasons. They've set a standard on what they can do defensively. And remember, this was the team they played a year ago when the coach got on the bus and somebody taped him just dropping F-bombs part, <laughs> ch- challenging their manhood because they went to Ames and laid an egg. Okay. Here comes Iowa State, who's struggling to score. Iowa State has lost their last two games, Mitch, 14-11 to 11 and 10-9. to 14-11 to 11 and 10-9. to 9. I'm going to say Sark and company get it done, and that's the 14, 14 and a half. I'm going to lay it and say that the, the Longhorns get it done. All right. The ice cream. Michigan, the cherry, BYU, nuts, Texas. So which one or all three or two of the three are we counting in your official season long record that starts at four and two? What are we doing? We are counting. We are counting Michigan. Just Michigan. Just Michigan. Because the reason I ask that is the last time that we talked a lot about Texas was after they played Alabama really tight and you told me, (laughs) You told me, okay, they've got no excuses anymore. They're big time. And then they went out and they won a game. No, 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 no. They went out and they beat UTSA. Yeah, but then they turned around and lost, didn't they? Did they, they lost turn- to Texas Tech in <laughs> overtime. Yes, they did. Okay. But right. now they've got a Red River rivalry pelt hanging oh. up in their in okay. their locker room. Okay. This is different, Texas. And they're right there. This is why the college football playoff committee had and those in charge of getting this done have to get it done for the sake of college football and the sake of college football fans by 2024. We cannot wait any longer. 12 teams. If we were anticipating 12 teams right now to make it to the college football playoff, all these races are in the hunt. Ladies and gentlemen, he's brought to you by Taco Time Northwest. He's with us each and every week. Rick Newhouse, are you in the studio or in the booth somewhere? Back to the studio. Back to the studio. Uh, yeah, okay. I, but I had fun going out there, uh, being with Tom McCarthy, the the television voice of the uh, Philadelphia Phillies, who are also along with your beloved Seattle Mariners, uh, advancing. Yeah. So he was in a good mood. Yeah. Uh, it's fun being at a stadium. It just reminds you how cool college football is. I'll have you know, you probably didn't see this because you were traveling back but you were traveling back from Athens, Georgia. I think they had the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Did they not this past year? Trayvon Walker, yes. Yeah, he single-handedly lost a game for his team. How? Uh, on this uh, uh, this past Sunday, he was in a tie game. It was a third and 20 situation. Davis Mills went back to pass. The play was called dead. Walker picked him up, 
body slammed him, obvious penalty, terrible misjudgment. They gave him 15 yards and an automatic first down, and Houston went down and scored the game-winning touchdown, all because of Uh, a silly penalty, yes. Well, I saw my fill of silly penalties yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Rick. We'll talk to you next week. All right, my friend. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you the CEO of Daniel's Broiler, and Wingpoint member guest champion, Lindsay Schwartz. Should we tell everybody that it was like Flight 26, or should we leave that part out? Well, we should leave it out because it's not true. It's also <laughs> not true that I was the overall champion, but we were champions of the fifth flight, okay. which I feel pretty good about. And, and you know, you probably think you'd be in the first flight, but I'm, I'm guessing you'd be like in the third or fourth Third flight. or fourth flight. Only, only one flight ahead of Lindsay Schwartz. Yeah, one. <laughs> you guys just had a Seattle version of the bourbon bash at the downtown location in the Hyatt. We haven't talked about the downtown location a lot. What's the progress over there since the pandemic? Yeah, you know, I mean, that was closed for several months and uh, we opened the bar, just bar only about a year ago. And then a few months ago, we've opened the dining room. So now the bar and dining room are open seven nights a week. It's getting a little bit busier every week. We're really happy with the progress. As a matter of fact, I took the family to Hamilton a couple of weeks ago and uh, we parked at the Hyatt, had dinner at Daniel's, walked to the Paramount. It's like a block and a half away. The show's awesome, by the way. I know you're a a big musical guy. Have you seen it? I have not seen him. I've seen the, oh. I've seen the TV version, but I've not been to a show of Hamilton. How many times have you seen it? You know, I've seen it a few. I, I, I yeah, people are going to make fun of me. I have seen it and I love it. And you definitely should do it. And you definitely should have dinner at yeah. Daniel's yeah. before. How about football season at Dan? I don't know that people kind of connect Daniel's for football season, but there's some there's some opportunities at less shy before and after games and viewing opportunities at Bellevue. Tell us about football season at Daniel's. Yeah, transitioning from musicals to football, <laughs> only on Mitch's podcast. Yes. Yeah, I mean, football, you know, Leshi is open for lunch every day, including the weekends. And that's a great place to go before a game. I do it all the time before Seahawks games. And every once in a while, I'll go to a Husky game. It's super conveniently located to both those stadiums. So great place to go for lunch. All three Seattle locations are convenient for dinner after a football game. And then I like watching games at Bellevue. In Prime 21 up there, we've got the big screen TV and the couches, and it's a really fun place to watch a game. i got to tell you, Daniels Broiler has been an amazing partner since the radio days and now with Unfiltered since the beginning. When you think of football, maybe you don't quickly think of Daniels Broiler, but now you will. Daniels Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Other Stuff segment, episode 210, Hot Shots. Draymond Green, you following the big punch in practice? I, I'm aware of the punch in practice. <laughs> oh, my God. What is I haven't seen the punch in practice. Oh, you haven't? Okay, there is no. video of it, of course. You've and, seen it? Oh, and he's pissed because he's like, yeah, we were going through, like, plays, and that, that didn't get leaked, but one punch from me gets leaked, you know, of course. Have but, you seen the punch? Of course, yeah. He beat How the shit look? out of the guy. One I'm, punch or was no, there a was lot a, of punch? it was a few. And he, really? Yeah. But he just spoke publicly for the first time. What since, was he mad about? He said that Jordan Poole called him a bitch at practice. Who knows oh. if it's true? But he did apologize for his actions, announcing he's taken a break from the Golden State Warriors. He's a 32-year-old four-time NBA champ, met with media Saturday morning in the Bay Area, oh. telling reporters flat out, I was wrong. I'm not here to change an opinion. I'm here to acknowledge my mistakes. He did, however, say the fact that the video was leaked was bullcrap. He couldn't leave that out. And he course. landed with a bunch of punches? Yeah, it was a pretty good beatdown. The guy go down? Yeah, he was like he was up against a wall, and then he kind of just sunk down. Shit. 
Yeah, he, he, yeah. But he apologized to Jordan Poole, the Poole family, his own family. So anyway, he's taking a break from basketball for a while. So we'll see what happens. With what him. we haven't discussed is the Bobby Wagner hit on the, <laughs> do we call that guy a streaker? Well, no, he wasn't naked. So it's not a streaker. What is he then? Uh, he's just someone trying to cause problems in a game. Trying to I get thought a- you call those people that run across the, you don't call them streakers unless they're naked. He had like just a fan running on the field. He had smoke coming yeah. up from him, and Bobby Wagner came off of the, off of the sidelines and and led with the crown of his helmet. I think it was a fifteen yard penalty. I think it was targeting. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was definitely targeting. Man, but, but here's what I don't understand about this, and maybe I'm just being naive. Apparently, the guy was an animal rights protester. Yeah, it's a, a, a group called Direct Action Everywhere. I'm not quite sure what that is. I probably could have looked it up. But, but what kind of exposure do they get? He's running around with red smoke. I mean, it's not like he wears a he's he's carrying a sign or a banner. How does anybody know what he's yeah what his cause is? It's not super effective, is what you're saying. Yeah, I, just, I, don't, just I a, don't get it. Just a jerk off with a smoke bomb. Right? That's what I thought he is. <laughs> right. You know he he filed a police report right against Bobby Wagner and and the other player. Oh, he did. You didn't know that? No, I yeah, didn't. Yeah, he know filed that. a police report over the incident. He uh, went to the Santa Clara Police Department on Tuesday following the game. Cops say he filed the report. A spokesperson did not reveal any further details, but Sean McVay said he's not even flinching over the report, telling media members Wednesday, we all know where Bobby's intentions were, and I support Bobby Wagner. Bobby said, you know, you don't know what a fan's got. You don't know what they're doing. I was just trying to help security. So I don't think anything's – I'd love to see the judge that that throws the book at Bobby (laughs) Wagner, right? I mean, come on. You can't just run on a field. I don't get it. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's it's a it's a what weird kind of cause. exposure to your cause do yeah. you get when you run out onto a sports event field? Right, at least have a sign like you said, or wear hey, a shirt or something. Yeah, yeah right. something dot com. <laughs> right, goldenpalace.com. Something. something. Yeah, get your money's worth. I'm with you. Have you been following the Victor Wembanyama craze? The phenomenon that is Victor Wembanyama. Do you know who he is? If I have, I, I'm not aware of it. He didn't punch he, anybody at practice. He did, did not he? punch okay. anybody at practice. He is familiar. the 18-year-old French basketball superstar. Okay. That people are saying is the best prospect to come around in decades. <laughs> like Inca Dare? No. <laughs> Remember, he was going to change the game? And- no, like LeBron James. <laughs> okay. Like LeBron James. That good. This guy is so good. People have now watched him play. I guess he came over here and he played a, f- a few games. He had 37 in one game. He's a wow. 7-4, like... Small forward who's got skills. Wow. He can dunk it. He shoots the three, the fadeaway, outside, inside. Got it all. Better prospect than LeBron James. Going to be the first overall pick at 18 years old. Is it 7'4"? He's 7'4". You know Woj? Woj from ESPN? Oh, Woj bomb. You betcha. Woj says that the team, the organization that drafts him, Mm -hmm. the value will increase by $500 million the day that they draft him. The franchise. The franchise. Wow. Adam Silver is saying, Adam Silver is warning teams about tanking. Already, they're already talking about, (laughs) we haven't even started the season yet. yet. He's warning teams, do not tank for Wembenyama, for Victor Wembenyama. Do not tank. Right. We're watching. The league is watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do not do this. Go out and put your best foot forward. Yeah. But already people people are talking about teams tanking and he's the best prospect. Oh. He's going to be number one. Well, look what happened with Zion, though. He hasn't quite panned out when they tanked, so it doesn't always work out. I'm telling you. This guy's a can't miss. Can't miss. But 18, he's probably thin. He needs to lift Super a little. thin. I've seen him play. Yeah. Super thin, but explosive as all hell. Does Unreal. it all. Block shots. Goes out and guards 
guards. Why are we just now hearing about you? Think we would have heard about him? Well, he's only 18. At 17. What, you want to hear about him at six? (laughs) Yes, I do. He was 6'11 at six years old. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to ask me about Steve Ho, you fat. I don't know who that is. French basketball player. Who knew yeah, well, this is a French basketball player. Who knew there was Victor's basketball French. in France all of a sudden, right? Yes. His name is, first name is Steve. His name is, last name, Ho You Fat. No. Becomes an overnight sensation on Twitter for his memorable last name. And listening to the announcer, have to say it. That's his real last name. Uh, three by Ho You Fat. <laughs> I promise you that is his name. Oh. You know, he probably would, some oh. some broadcasting hack, super uncomfortable saying that. But oh. dude, I can't wait to watch this guy. I'm surprised. You know, Victor we, Wembanyama. Oh, this guy, your guy or my guy? Your guy. My you, guy? I mean, you think yes. about like Ralph Sampson was 7'4". But he was a, I mean, he didn't move like that. He wasn't guarding any guy. No, all these guys, and, and, and guys like LeBron James have seen him play. Everybody's saying there's been, there's never been anything like this guy. Wow. Well, this is not like Yinkadari. This is, <laughs> this, there's never, this is not Kwame Brown, all right? Yinkadari was the seven foot three monster. You get him into camp, he's 6'10 and three quarters inches or something. This is right? like no one it's, has ever seen. It's not hype. It's like he's this the real is, deal. This is Kevin Durant, but 7'4. Right. Wow. Kevin Durant's what? About 6'11, 7 feet? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. This guy's 7'4, Kevin Durant already at Holy 18 years crap. old. Anyway. By the way, yes. I should tell you. That I went to the NBA exhibition game at Climate Pledge Arena oh, last week. That's right. Week. It was a Clipper. Well, no, it was a Blazers. Yes, Blazers, Clippers. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Full house. Yeah, that's what I heard. 20,000, 22,000, whatever it was, 19,000 yeah. dignitaries. Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, uh, Lenny Wilkins, like Detlef Shrimp, George Carl, mayors, politicians, yeah. uh, Macklemore sitting there. I mean, it was. And the place was crazy. Everybody was excited. I mean, it was such a great look for Seattle basketball. It was a great Jamal Crawford got the big Jamal Crawford got a bit a bigger round of applause than any of the 80, uh, 96 guys. Oh, is that right? and, oh yeah. my God. People went crazy for Jamal. for Jamal Crawford for what he's meant to basketball in the Pacific Northwest. What an it was crazy. There was Eldridge Kasner was sitting oh, in the front nice. row. Yeah. When I was a it kid. It was beautiful. I thought his name was Rick Asner. I know you Yeah, that, that that guy. <laughs> But in a way, it sort of irritates me that like, oh, this this town's on fire for NBA. Yeah, no shit. We had a team for 42 years that we supported. Like, you don't have to tell me this team can support NBA. I know. I don't want to crap on how fun it was. It was so fun. Just another reminder that, yeah, we should have NBA here. It looked good. If the commissioner was watching, it looked great. Place was, it was an exhibition game, for God's sakes. Nobody cared. People were going crazy. It was great. Love it. It was so great. You see the fan who jumped over the stadium railing in an attempt to catch Aaron Judge's 62nd home run ball? Yeah, and he, he somehow avoided injury, but he did get some bad news following the fall. He was immediately booted from the stadium. So he did, he he tried to catch it, fell down, and didn't even get the ball. No, so. you're talking about 61. Uh, six, there was a 62nd. No, the guy who got 62nd. Oh, I don't. There's a guy who got 62nd. That's what I'm saying. This guy went for it. Oh, fell down because at 61, the guy went for it, fell down. The ball went down to the pitcher in the bullpen. Yeah, and they returned it. They returned it to Aaron Judge for number 61. Number 62 was actually captured by somebody right. who was already offered $2 million for that ball. Right. No, I have that too. But the, Right away. This guy left his seat, jumped several feet into a concourse okay. below in an effort to get the ball. But Jesus. some guy in the front row just put his mitt out and caught it. It wasn't even close, but apparently he, he avoided broken bones somehow. I don't know how he did it, but yeah, uh, Judge says he he would like the ball back. But yeah, like you said, it's worth oh $2 God. million dollars is what auction people are saying. Have you seen Shaq O'Neal's new body? 
His new body? He's got a new body. He's lost 50 pounds. He's added really? muscle. He's uh, he's transforming his, oh. his after his playing days body. He was asked, what, what, what inspired you to get into shape like yeah. this? And he said, I don't want to have Charles Barkley's body. <laughs> Those two. <laughs> then he said, I want to do underwear commercials for Fruit of the Loom. Oh, man. Not like he doesn't do enough commercials. He's never met a sponsor he has said no to. He can't. And he wants to become a sex symbol. This is what motivates him to work out <laughs> and diet. <laughs> He's lost him. 50 pounds. Apparently, he looks great. Shaquille O'Neal. Well, He's gone him. from 405 pounds wow. to 355. I don't know. Man. 350 pounds, something like that. Is he showing it off? Is there like yeah. pictures of him? And yeah. The Superman. Yeah, he truly thing? wants to do Fruit of the Loom. Oh, he will. No, he will dress like a like like a, a banana or grapes or whatever. He will do it. He's got no shame. Shaquille O'Neal. Good for him. All right. If this doesn't make you want to hang up the mic for good, uh -oh. Kim Kardashian's new podcast is taking over. That's right. Quite literally. Her big true crime project, The System, yeah. shot to the top of Spotify's top podcast list this week. Oh, geez. Surging past the Joe Rogan one and even the famed Call Her Daddy podcast, which fell in line behind her at two and three. So Kim Kardashian's going after our jobs. When is the... When is she going to go away? When is the when are we going to cool on her? She can have the job. <laughs> it's yours, Kimmy. Let's see her break down it's Logan yours. Gilbert for 2 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see her come up with the numbers of 11 ERA versus Houston for Robbie Ray. Let's That's see right. her tell us who should start game oh, 3 God. for the uh, Mariners against the Astros. Tom Brady update. Oh boy. It's not good. It's not good. It's really not people good. People are reveling in it. I'm not. I think oh. it's kind of sad. Anytime people He's got a worse. house under construction that has been halted. It was oh, a yeah. house for the family. They're living apart. We know that. They both have hired attorneys. And here's the thing about Tom Brady. I don't know that you've noticed this. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. Okay. He doesn't look good. You know, when they put his quote, when he's behind the microphone and after games and whatever, he doesn't look good to mm. me. I don't know if you've noticed. He looks really thin. He looks like he's mm. almost emaciated, like there's a lot of stress going on. He does not look like the normal Tom Brady, the normal handsome, yeah. dashing debonair. I mean, he's handsome Glowing. Still. There's something about yeah. him on TV that does not look right, like he's lost extra weight over all of this. You try losing Giselle and see how much you eat and Jesus. sleep. That's a tough pill to swallow, I can't man. believe that it's all over him deciding he wanted to play one more year. I do not believe that. That can be the case. Well, my sources, of course, yes, are saying this me. was not the first time that she said, do not play football. So sources connected to Giselle say she separated from Tom and threatened to divorce him several times over a period of years, and it was all over football. She didn't want to sit there and watch him develop CTE. So she's been upset with him for playing for a long time. And I time. get this, and I don't want to start. Uh, I don't want to go down this road. Go on. I don't want to go down this road. <laughs> okay. I can understand being disappointed that your husband decides he wants to do his thing one more year or put himself in harm's way. Yeah, but it's been one more year for like five or six okay, years. Okay, so. but still, really? That's the end of the marriage? I mean, I... The, That's the end of the marriage from what they're because saying, she hates he wants alone. to work one more yeah, year but or he, two he more works years. and she's alone for six months and she hates it. Absolutely hates oh, it. It's what he does. Yeah. I know, it's like 40 million, just another quick 40 it's, million. No, I'm not talking about the money. It's just what he does. Yeah. It what's it's what makes him happy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, she's she's been wanting him to quit. Again, I'm feeling like there's more to it than that. I just feel like there's more to it. Than that. I want to know if Tom Brady's going to go enjoy being Tom Brady. If you know what I'm saying, 
Is there going to be a picture of him? Well, he needs him? to have a hamburger or something because he's losing too much weight. <laughs> is is there going to be you. video of him crawling out of a 25-year-old random's apartment? I don't Some know. shitty apartment after a night out of drinking? I, I wonder if he's going to go be Tom Brady or not. I'm dying to know. I don't know. All right, you see LeGarrette Blunt was involved in a fight at yes, a youth football I, game? Is, first of all, who hired him to be a head coach of a youth football team? I thought he was still in the league. I didn't know he well, was Well, I don't know. He's been in trouble before. Uh, by, by the way, wasn't he the one that did the punch at the Boise State? Like I think so, yeah. 15 years ago or yeah. something? And by the way, the guy that You would punched, think that that would knock him out of consideration to be a youth football coach. <laughs> That's a good place to start, <laughs> yes. By the way, the guy he punched, people said, look like me if you ever go back oh, and no, watch the video no. at Boise State. No. Yeah, so anyway, the altercation happened following the conclusion of a 12-year-old and under game in Gilbert, Arizona, by the way. 12-year-olds. He was coaching some team against the elite, whoever that is. When in the post-game handshake line, yeah, he prepared to take uh, appeared to take exception to something someone had said to him, and he was ultimately oh, restrained. But footage God. shot from the field shows parents then jumped in the sidelines and began I saw arguing. The, I saw and, the video footage. I saw it. Yeah, he, he did issue. To be fair to him, he did issue a mea culpa for his role in the fight. You know, saying as a leader, coach, father, and a role model. I'm not sure when he was a role model, but he understand. I understand my actions are unacceptable. So he is trying to apologize. But yeah. It's just like coaching kids. Do you remember when Aaron Judge, now the American League home run king, was offered a contract by the New York Yankees last offseason that he turned down? Kind of. And he said, I'm just going to bet on myself. I'll play my final year, my contract, and then see what happens. Do you Mm -hmm. remember that? The contract that he was offered by the Yankees that he said was not good enough was seven years, $213 million. Okay. So 30 a year? 30 a year. He went out then after betting on himself (laughs) and hit 62 home (laughs) runs. Yeah, is that good? It's going to be a 10-year, $375 million contract that he's going to get as a result of it. So (sighs) the bet paid off to the tune of an increased $162 million. Brian Cashman, the general manager of the New York Yankees, was asked this past week, what about the bet? Mm Mm-hmm. What about him betting on himself, turning down your offer? And he said, it's the greatest bet of all time. <laughs> it really is. He's not wrong. God. So that's some bet. Well, how much did you say he increased by if he well, signs the he, 10 years? He was offered seven years. I would have thought he would have taken seven years, 213 million guaranteed. Mm. That's what he was offered and turned down. Now the approximations are that this offseason, somebody will give him about 10 years, 375 million to 400 million. <sighs> Somebody, so we don't know. I mean, it could we don't be, know who it's going to be, but yeah. but it's two hundred thirteen guaranteed over seven versus three seventy five to four hundred over ten. It's That's good work if you can find it right there. There's the bet. Yeah. Well, you go out and hit sixty two home runs. <laughs> right, I will. Give me a chance. Your buddy Antonio Brown's being dragged to court yet again. Oh. It's not for stretching out his wiffle ball bat in a pool full of strangers. It's for bat. it's for something else this time. A man in oh, Florida God. claims he sold him a bogus. Richard Mill watch for $160,000. I never heard of those watches at Mill or Millie. I don't know. Fully knowing it was a phony worth far less. Yeah. So Ryan Kane filed a lawsuit against Brown over it in Broward County earlier this week, wherever I feel like everything happens in Broward County. Dade. (laughs) In Dade County. Exactly. Alleging he ripped him off for the sale back on July. So the suit Kane says he assured him the watch allegedly an RM 011 model, which you're familiar with, of course, sure was real and said it had a value in excess of $400,000. Well, he had it appraised and the guy said, yeah, it's about 200 bucks. Sorry about that. He paid 160 grand for it. In his mind, it's like over 50% off. What a deal. Typically, you get what you pay for in life there, Mr. Kane. I hate to tell you, but 
Now, and so oh, it turns God. out that he bought the fake watch and three others like it from a dealer in Dubai earlier this year. Oh, jeez. Antonio Brown did for less than $500 oh, a piece. So he's making a killing. Did you have Justin Bieber on your notes last week? Uh, did he get caught taking a whiz? Was that what you were going to talk about in a uh, golf course? He shut down his world tour. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you had that last week. No. No, I, I didn't. But He I, shut down his world tour. He's yeah. got to take care of himself. I guess he's struggling mentally. And, of course, he's spending most of his time trying to get Brittany Griner out. <laughs> Is he that still is, trying? No. Oh, that's good. What can I do? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. Somebody please send me the notes. Uh, what, what can I do? He's been I don't, a, how can I help this out? He's uh, been in a bubble a lot. Remember he said Anne Frank would have been a believer? When he, that's that that's what he took from visiting the Anne Frank house, God. right? I, I I know that he he did he he suffers from Bell's palsy. You familiar with that? Yeah, the the, the condition where your yeah your face gets paralyzed. Like yeah. half your face gets paralyzed. That's right. So yeah. half of his face. Really? Yeah. Justin Bieber. Yeah, has? he showed a video of it, and so I've I've kind of laid off a bit. I was like, I don't know. He's got. Oh, you can't take a shot at a guy with Bell's palsy. <laughs> that's right. You sure can't. There's some sort of a rule it's, in radio. It's been said many times. I, 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 in fact, when I decided to start the podcast, mm -hmm. Apple Podcasts had me sign a a release that says, "You'll never make fun of a guy oh. with Bell's palsy well, on your show." I'm glad I didn't. Good. We follow okay. the rules. Yes. Couple RIPs. Yes. You might not know the name Jim Redmond. Now, he was the man who famously helped his injured son, Derek Redmond, finish a race at the 1992 oh, Olympics. Yes. Do you remember that moment? Yes. He ran out onto the track oh. and he helped him through the finish line. And he and his quote made me cry. His quote was like, after the race was like, you know, I brought him in or I helped him through this. I'm going to go out with him. I'm going in with him. I'm going out yeah. with my son. It was like Love one of the son. sweeter moments. Oh, God. Yeah. Of all time. He died. Jim Redmond passed away. How at 80, old would he 81 be? years oh, old. Okay. The Olympic Games confirmed Jim's passing on Tuesday, tweeting our thoughts yeah. are with Derek Redmond and his family following God. the death of his father, Jim. Sure. Together, they brought us one of the most inspirational moments that, in that, Olympic yes. history. A cause of death was not revealed. So rest in peace to Jim Redmond. And then, I mean, Loretta Lynn. You see that? No. Yeah, remember Loretta Lynn, the country, country star? Country singer, yeah. Coal miner's daughter? Yeah. Not just a hit song, but an award-winning movie. She passed away. Was she away. a redhead or a dark-haired girl? Yeah, I, th I think it was dark hair. Yeah. I don't think it was quite red. Loretta but Lynn, how old was she? She was 90 years old, she died 90. natural causes. But as far as heavyweights go, nominated 18 times for a Grammy, won three, amassed an incredible 21 number one singles and wow. 11 number one albums amongst her hits over a six-day career. How's your Patreon... Oh, the music pod? Yeah, oh, how's I'm, that coming? I'm back inspired. I'm, you I'm, said that weeks ago. I did? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> but she had a bunch of hits, six-decade six career. And as yeah. for Coal Miner's Daughter, have yeah. you, ever, you ever see that film? It's Yeah, it's with uh, Sissy Spacek. Look at you. It was nominated she for won seven a, she, Oscars. She won one. She won for Best Actress she in sure her portrayal did. of Loretta. There Sissy you go. Sissy Spacek, and that's why I said redhead, because Sissy Spacek was a redhead. That's right. Carrie. You remember the movie Carrie? Very, oh, very scary. scary yeah. Very scary. Don't so Loretta was, I'm going to have nightmares. At this part, <laughs> Loretta was married to yeah. Oliver Lynn for nearly 50 years. She married him in 1948 when she was 15. It was a simpler time, I guess. I don't know why we're all just okay with that, but whatever. All right. The couple had six children together. Oliver died in 96. Her son, Jack, died at 34. Her daughter, Betty Sue, died at 64 of emphysema. Loretta was 90 years old. Rest in peace. About as big as they come in the country music Rest world. Rest in peace. All right. Got some headlines? Sure. An investigation was launched after a video shows bikini clad a bikini-clad woman exiting a fire engine in front of a San Jose strip what? club. What? Yes. Stripper slash firefighter actually sort of makes sense. A different kind of pole skills, but pole skills nonetheless. A California high school has canceled its entire season for a prank that had students reenacting a slave auction. 
This and more news stories from 1948 coming up later. I mean, what fucking what year is it? It's 2022. How is that possible? All right. A former nanny to an elite Upper East Side family claims she was fired after catching her employer getting ah, it on with his sister. Did I send you this one you or not? You sure did, yes. I see what you're reading during the day. He was <laughs> Don't getting... look at my ads on Run My Pool. That's, that's right. Her employer was getting it on with his sister while his wife was at work. Say that again. A former nanny to an elite Upper East Side family claims yes. she was fired after yes. catching her employer yes. getting it on with his sister. The employer was yes. getting it on with his sister. That's right. Yes. While his wife in the laundry was at work. room. Yep, in the laundry room. With the candlestick. That's right. Yes. Colonel Mustard. Yes. And I was thinking, who says rich city slickers of New York don't have anything in common with people in the South? And finally, an employee at a lingerie store quit her job after accidentally grabbing a human turd as she picked Ooh. up sports bras from the floor of a dressing Ooh. room at the lingerie store. Ooh. Good news is, finally, after all this time, we found out what Victoria's Secret is. Not as good as I thought it would be. The Mariners and the Houston Astros. The next time you and I are together, I can't, I can't guarantee that that series will still be going, but wouldn't it be fun if the next time you and I put together episode 211, mm -hmm. 211, yep. that we're getting ready for game five of the oh. American League Divisional Series. I suppose I could be greedy and ask for the series to be over in favor of the Mariners when you and I next talk for episode 211. But I think right now, if I offered you right now that the next time you and I record episode 211, yeah. that they're 2-2, two -two, the Sunday game's over, and they're playing a game five in Houston on Monday. Would you sign up for that right now? Who's pitching? Would you sign up for that <laughs> right now? And if you say anything oh. less than yes, you're crazy. I know, but in Houston, they're over. Yeah, but they're overwhelming underdogs. They could lose in three yeah. straight. No, you're probably right. They, they you lose. would take game five yeah. right now. Take a game five why right would, now. By the way, game if five. there's game five, we really should release for Tuesday, right? I mean. We're going to release a podcast Monday no. and not talk about That's game five. Yeah. I'm just talking, trying to get it like an extra day on my weekend. That's all I care about. <laughs> but I mean, we'll amazing. make the adjustment. We'll yes, make, we will. Just go Mariners. And, oh, so and what I didn't, what I didn't say, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't fit this into se to segment number one because you feel like you're playing with house money. Don't you? Oh yeah. No, you do. They, they, they should be loose, right? Totally loose. Right. And the good thing about this whole experience is it kind of feels like when the Seahawks got that great draft class and they popped and they went to the postseason. Remember yeah. they lost that game Atlanta? against the Falcons? Yeah, well, sure, yeah. But and you knew it, the next year they were going to win it, it all. Was, it, yeah. No, you didn't know they were going to win it all. I did. But you were heartbroken, but it was just... You, you felt like, okay, this wasn't a one-year a one thing. This was something that was like a crescendo. I mean, oh, yeah. it was it was going to be great for years to come. I kind of feel that way with the Seattle Mariners. Win or lose against Houston, it's not like, okay, there's a bunch of free agents this offseason right. and they're just going to go back to them being shitty again. Right, yeah. I kind of feel like, okay, you've got Ray signed. You've got uh, Castillo signed. <laughs> Bad example. Go ahead. <laughs> you've got Ray signed. Yeah. Gilbert's under club control. Kirby's under club control. Yeah. Everybody is coming back except for Mitch Hanniger, and you can have him back if you want right. to sign him. Cal gonna, Cal's a rookie. You're gonna, yeah, Cal's a, <laughs> He's a rookie. You're going to go out, and you're going to spend money and bring some new free agents in. It just feels like yeah. this is, this, this is the, the, the infancy of 
something really special. Yeah. And that helps when you go into a series like that where you feel like I do, which is they have very little chance to win a five-game series against the Astros. Yeah. But I'm feeling great because this is the start of something big. Right. Right? Huge. I know. It's like when the Seahawks, you kept hearing about, well, one day they're going to have to pay Russell, and one day they're going to have to pay Sherman. And yeah. You just knew it was going to come to an end. There have been baseball teams over the years, you know, that have gone out and bought free agents to go for it for one year. Right. And they either make it or they don't. And then they get rid of all these guys or they cut all these guys. You just yeah, know yeah. it's a one-year thing. This was built the right way. These are this thing is This thing is just now starting to simmer. So... Yeah. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen to Houston in the offseason. They may lose some pitchers to free agency. Verlander may retire. He probably won't. But they could lose guys. And before you know it, we could see a shift in power Unreal. in the American League West. This is That's what makes this so fun, knowing that, okay, if they don't win it, boy, next year is going to be so highly anticipated. Oh, I know. It's like yeah. when, when Dan Marino went to the Super Bowl his rookie year. I mean, you just knew. You just knew there's going to be like – Five to seven more Super Bowls for Dan Marino. Episode 209. Wait, what are we on? 210? I don't even know now. Mitch is checked out, so I'm leaving. <laughs> By the way, how, side note. How cool is it that Kelnick's up here? Hey, you know, he hasn't really helped out much, but I'm so happy Let he's on this Let me help you team. out a little bit, buddy boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Marino didn't go to the Super Bowl his oh, rookie his year. Oh, year. Okay. You should probably know that being where you're from, yeah. that he didn't go to the Super Bowl his rookie year. That's true. He got knocked out. That's right, yes. By the Seattle Seahawks, of course, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Episode 2. Oh, come on. We can't end on that. The Mariners. Let's go. Go Mariners. Let's do it. Episode 210. Ah.